There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Hey, I'm Tyler. And I'm KC. And you're listening to... The Element Podcast. What's happening to all my woods people? We're back with another episode of the Element Podcast. It's a Q&A episode where all you fellers out there have a chance to ask questions. And I know that you are fellers because uh, despite common beliefs, YouTube does give us analytics. And 100% are male <laughs> viewers. <laughs> so uh, we do know that at least. Um, so, but we here's, here's the deal. This is a... This is an inside joke free episode of the Element Podcast, okay? No more. In- you didn't tell me this before we got no, started. It's happening. <clears throat> no inside jokes. Dang. So if you if we hear one, you ding us. We've got Eric Gentry here. Dang. He's doing some dinging. <laughs> and uh he's gonna be the disc jockey or the MC. And uh he's gonna be spinning questions at me and KC. And we're gonna be answering them. These are all questions that come from Instagram. We have had uh, quite a bit uh, that has been submitted, and we have gone through and picked a bunch of them to put on here that spans different uh, subjects. So, pretty excited to do this. Um, we've got a couple things that I want to talk about real quick. Um, <clears throat> KC and, and Greg have done some turkey hunting, they've been successful. There's going to be a video coming out soon. We got another video that uh, I think all you archery nerds will be really excited about as well. So a um, couple things that are coming down the pipe there. And then <clears throat> we're uh, probably going to be putting some big videos together too Woo-hoo. as well pretty soon. Uh, buck truck stuff comes out really soon. We'll talk about all this at the end again just to remind you. But uh, we appreciate you being here and listening. And with that, um, I think, is there anything else you want to hit before we do Yeah, this? sounds good. Eric, what do you have for us? We have a little over 50 questions, so 
Get ready. Wow. <laughs> wow. At what tempo should we answer these? At your own tempo. <laughs> just make it quick. <laughs> should we put a timer on this thing so or just, just go for it? Well, <clears throat> how do y'all feel? This is my first question. I mean, I can, is, we can do some How do y'all feel seconds. about the uh, pitch clock? Eric, This you, these questions are for us, but the first question is for you. Yep. All right. All I right. like it. You like it? Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, it makes the game. So, what I've heard and this is pretty much a good like explanation it pretty much takes the game and cuts all the like fat out of the game so Ooh, no yeah. more what if my favorite parts the fat then mario it, cabrera escobar guys <laughs> <laughs> uh, no more big papa no Poppy. more uh, uh, uh prince fielders prince fielders they're gone yeah, yeah. yeah i guess wow. no but like Cecil it takes fielders. Like, every time a batter steps out and, like, adjusts his gloves, takes, like, three extra swings, you know, like, it takes all that out. So It's fun. I like yeah. it. It's a good pace. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do the hunting questions. All right. You know, Tony Gwynn was a little overweight, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the best hitters ever. Bet one of the, Maybe even the best. Probably is. Yeah. Mike, Michael doesn't agree. His but. stats are unreal. Well, Michael wasn't alive when Tony was playing, so. <laughs> Michael wasn't even there for the hump day commercial, man. We already talked about that. Dude, this. Michael didn't even know that LeBron's been in the league a long time, you know. Hey, that's an inside joke that you started about Michael being young just then. And Did then I? You didn't explain. Yeah, you, you're like, well, Michael wasn't even alive then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's harder than you think It is dude We're trying though Here's the thing If you're an audience guy here We're trying to help y'all out we're not, We don't want to leave you on the dark With the inside joke So maybe they just either need to be explained first Or explained directly after Or just not said at all That's right But I just want you guys to know We don't You know We kind of exist in inside jokes So That's right Not saved by works But your works prove your faith Right <laughs> So inside jokes all right. You want to start these? Yes. First, first <laughs> yep. question. Only five minutes in. High FOC or nah? Do you want to no, direct nah. these at each of us or just uh, uh, sure? let us just decide who wants to talk just about choose it? Choose whoever. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Tyler, you go first. Oh, head gummit. High FOC or nah? Yeah. Uh, it depends on what you want to say is high FOC. Uh, but I think that, high, that FOC uh, can be – and probably is slightly overrated, but I do think that FOC, uh, uh, higher FOC numbers are typically better. It's like everything, man. It's literally like everything. You can't, if you go too far to the right, then you're in the ditch. If you go too far on the left, you're in the ditch. You know what I mean? Got to get down the road on this thing. That's a very Midwestern statement of you there. Um. <laughs> I think it's a Canada statement, actually. Uh, inside joke. No, uh, yeah, no, no, that, no, that was not. That's not an inside joke. Uh, okay, Michael's fist bumping. <laughs> He's from so, the Steel Belt. That's it. Um, I say no to high FOC, but I want a higher FOC. And pretty much where Tyler is, and I'll just explain it a little different than he did. But, but like. If you go this is with a like, southern explanation? Yeah. Well, okay. If you go with the goal of a high FOC, you're liable to end up with a funky arrow that's hard to build. But if you just go with a, the goal of having a arrow that's going to kill deer, then you'll end up with a pretty decent FOC. Yeah. Good call. What is FOC? Front of center. So it's kind of <clears> – <throat> it sounds simplistic, but it's a little bit harder to figure out. You pretty much find the center point on an arrow – and then you put your finger there, and it's going to dip on the front, like where the point is. That's the side that's going to dip when you try to balance it, okay? So there's like this ratio of percentage 
towards the front of the arrow where you the balance point is, and that's what FOC is. And so it's the a percentage, right? Yeah, so yep. it's a percentage of from distance from the middle, pretty much, is front and center. All right, KC, light or heavy arrow? Uh, I'm going to side on the heavier side of things. Uh, and that's a relative statement, right? Because mm-hmm. who knows what light and heavy is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to say for not, – let's, let's not do what I like to say. I think that the modern conception is anything like 470, 480 and up is is on the heavier side for most dudes. And so I like to be anywhere from 525 to 575. I think personally that the modern conception is actually a little bit lower than what you said. I what feel do you like mean? I feel like over 450 okay. might be more of the mark. Which is, I mean, we're talking about a few grains, but like, I feel like that's kind of like, there's guys that I know that shoot 460 grain arrows that think they're pretty heavy. And I think that's, I mean, that's just probably correct when you look at culture, you know, whatever of the past. But uh, I am a, right now, I feel pretty dialed at 500 uh, as far as just like being able to push a real big broadhead, mechanical broadhead through a deer in almost every situation with a 500 grain arrow. But I'm a 29 inch draw, so. Um, you know, that's that's where I'm at. That's kind of gives you an idea. What arrows are you guys shooting, <clears throat> Tyler? Um, I'm shooting a Method Archery ZMR, um, which is, I think, the lighter offering of the two that they have. And uh, I've been shooting that actually since they were prototypes in 2021, maybe. Yeah. Um, you smoked that giant Kansas buck with the ZMR before they came out. Yeah. 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 That's weird. Yeah. These weren't even... These might not even work, and I didn't even know that at the time, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> they worked. <laughs> yeah. I shoot uh, a variety of, of those. Right now, what my bow is set up for is a 416-grain for right ZMR, now. which is weird. And oh, I'm actually yeah. going to try to shoot a pig with that, and I think it's going to work just <clears> fine. <throat> um, but it's set up for turkey. But uh, for deer hunting, I like the HMR, which is the heavier of the method stuff. The hammer. All right. This is a taxidermy question. Mm. KC, you can start. Okay. What is your all-time favorite whitetail pose? Uh, semi-sneak upright, I think is what it's called. It's the 6900U by uh, – who makes that? I don't McKenzie? remember. McKenzie? McK- no. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sixty. If you Google 6900 – McKenzie, I think. Yeah, I thought it was McKenzie. I think it is McKenzie. I thought McKenzie was, made the targets. Delta McKenzie. No, McKenzie they, makes they molds make too. Molds too, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The sixty nine hundred is is you know overall, especially if you're looking at like most of the country, sixty nine hundred might be a little bit weird on a southern deer because uh, it's kind of for a bigger neck swell. Uh, but overall, it's probably about as good as it gets. Yeah, I'm more of a left turn goat neck uh, <laughs> by Joe Meter. <laughs> uh, I actually would agree with you that that 6900 pose is hard to beat. I got I got a few of them for sure. I see a couple in here. And uh, the the big Kansas buck you were talking about is actually a. He, I'm not sure if he is a 6900, but he's a, a wall pedestal, which looks really cool too. Mm-hmm. So. Um, on a really special deer while pedestal can be cool and it can also be really not cool. <laughs> we won't tell the story about that. Here's Inside a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a pretty exciting question. When does Buck Truck get released? A PEQ, baby. Ooh, I believe. <clears throat> this is a little tentative, but it's getting oh, real close. Believe. 
May 2nd is when Buck Truck starts. And then for the next essentially two months on the Meat Eater channel, you will have a new Buck Truck episode every week, which Dude, is pretty man. exciting. Come on now. It's let like us. deer season outside of deer season. Let you know what I mean? May 2nd. Is that a Tuesday? Uh, I don't know. Is it? Seems like it. Tuesday? Michael. Yeah, Michael. Michael J. From the back. Michael J. All right, Casey. <laughs> that seems I joke. Damn it. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm glad I put these stipulations up. Casey, what is your dream mount? Text My me. dream mount. So this is kind of a broad question. I'm assuming we mean like what would be the coolest animal to have in the house? Yeah. Um, uh, peacock for sure. Uh, no, I think <laughs> that would be pretty cool though. Can you imagine? Dude, what if he just did a fan mount of a peacock? You know how they do turkeys? They're riding on top of a zebra from Greg's place. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome, dude. Um, you know... Uh, I guess you'd have to have a little bit of a dream house to make this work because my, my house doesn't really work uh, too much for too many mounts. But uh, a moose is just always is it's just like kind of quintessential mount looking thing, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a couple other answers too, but to, and for the sake of time and not stealing Tyler's potentially, I think I need a net two twenty two typical whitetail jumping <laughs> over a fence. That's what I need. <laughs> And I need that to be the world record, which it would be if it's free range. All right, Tyler, what is the best backcountry meal? Hmm, probably backstrap off of what you just shot. But uh, if we're looking at like freeze dry, um, dadgum, it's been so long since I've been in the backcountry. I can't even remember now what I was, what I was liking. Um. I'll tell you one that I struggle with. I like uh, I like hash browns, and they have one. There's one that's a hash brown that I've had that's like got peppers and stuff in it. But man, it gives me the Southwest worst breakfast hash. Yes, the mm-hmm. skillet or whatever, or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, like man, it gives me the worst indigestion. I can't do it anymore. Um, I don't know. I think there's some. I think there's some higher dollar freeze dried that are that are pretty. Uh, Tasty. Let me mess around with some of those this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I guess if I'm bringing something, uh, I'm bringing like the dried apple and banana slices on a lot of this stuff. It's pretty, it's like a nice just mm-hmm. sugar hit when you're feeling down about mid afternoon. So mm-hmm. uh, I prefer to take, no, I can't say that. Mm. You're so joke. focused on this inside joke <laughs> know, thing, yeah. you, can't even, you can't even be a part of this podcast. <laughs> in 2017, Tyler and I went to the backcountry on a fly fishing trip, and I carried a big jug of <laughs> it took, peanut butter to the bottom. It and took didn't one windshift. River light. They're the best. Yeah, inside, inside jokes, jokes y'all. Love, I'm breaking the rules. Uh, so... Um, uh, since you kind of went a little bit compound with that, uh, you know, traditionally biscuits and gravy in mm. that freeze dry. What's the name of that brand? Uh, House Mountain, Mountain House, House was good, and they kind of changed the recipe some, and it's not as good anymore. Yeah, I haven't eaten a Mountain House in a few years, and I'm okay with that. And going <laughs> forward, I'd like to not have to have too much of that just gut killer food, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but like if you're gonna go with that type of stuff. Um, because your answer with fresh killed meat's great. Um, the old Wisconsin beef sticks. Oh yeah, they're real good. You turn me on to those, and then uh, you make some mac and cheese and throw some pieces of that in there, and it's a, it's a pretty good, tasty little thing. Yeah, real quick, 
So we're not staying on here too long, though. One thing I would mention is that if you bring too much of one thing on a long trip backcountry, <laughs> you won't like it ever again. I mean, most of the time. So, like, if you want Snickers in the backcountry, just bring enough for, like, one a day. Tyler you know what I mean? won't even eat trail mix anymore, guys. I'm telling you, it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And I love it still. Um, so you first turned on the dried fruit thing, I think, in the Gila. Because you got those freeze-dried strawberries. Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> they were yummy. But if you ever want to suffocate in the back country. <laughs> don't <laughs> inhale the dust <laughs> off of those things. <laughs> you will asphyxiate them. I'm telling you, dude. That was bad. That was bad. <laughs> okay. Sorry. A strawberry All right, next, dust. We'll go to the next question. How do you keep your gear dry, Casey? Um, keep it out the rain. Well, my... Uh, Associate here, Eric likes to steal my. Um, Let's go. My uh, weatherproof stuff. Let's oh, go. Okay. So, <laughs> um, Eric's gonna be in your in your backyard looking through all your stuff. No, dude. We uh, no, I actually found those. So we have four Omen sets. Uh, <laughs> we found them. Huh? Yeah, they were in some some tub. Imagine. This is like a, a half a no. season argument. <laughs> no, uh-uh. the argument is there's two pieces, and Eric thinks that he gets one of them. What? So, um, <laughs> anyways, um, we now have four omens, which leaves somebody out. Man, on you that think deal. we can get more than omens? <laughs> um, but first, like first, first like, yeah, uh, first light has some dry bags that seem to work pretty good, and they're fairly inexpensive. So. Yeah. Use a bunch of those. That's yep. actually the next question is the best go to dry bag. Oh, um first light. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, they make these little brown ones. Yeah. I don't know if there's, there's a name on the for them. Right there, these dry bags. We put a bunch of camera gear and stuff in them and we'll typically like especially if we're going to a boat, you can put stuff in there. Uh I put clothes in there. Like they're pretty good for a uh even for travel where you just like, oh, throw my dirty clothes in this dry bag when I get home, I'll just wash it whole dry bag. Now they don't yeah. They're sort of breathable, right? But as far as like dirty clothes go, don't leave them in there too long because it's still kind of a musty environment. Yeah. Right? So don't sure. don't just like be like, oh, I'll leave those in there for two weeks in the sun because it's I'm, gonna be bad. I'm ready to go musty fishing, man. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all ever caught a musty? Is that the next question? Uh, I like nah. those uh, musty ducks, aren't those? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they are good, man. Yeah. The next question is a bow question: dovetail or fixed sight, Tyler? <sighs> just shoot whatever you got, man. Yeah. I mean. Dovetail, I don't use the dovetail. Like, as far as it's the, the, what he's asking is like something that moves so you can put it in a case, right? I'm guessing. Yeah, or what? I mean, I mean, there's I a lot of reasons, I guess, to that. I, I'm just I not big on moving my about, side at all. You know, think like, about what the question was saying, but yeah, I mean, I just, same as you, I just get it where it goes. And yeah, leave it. I mean, if you just, I don't know, nice stuff is nice, man, but we, you know, if you start buying everything nice, then you start running out of money. So don't, yeah, I think that that probably is the best point to make. There is like, don't spend twenty dollars extra to make sure it's a dovetail when you could spend that twenty dollars to get gorditas, whatever. Yeah, get whatever site you you really want, or that's an extra hunting trip on the year for gas or whatever. You know, like don't don't make that a big deal. Yeah. Okay. How do, how fast do you guys like your bows to be shooting for hunting? Do you have a minimum FPS, Casey? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that this is a self-developed parameter, but I don't want to shoot anything under 240 ever, uh, unless I'm, like, shooting traditional for some reason or something. But 
uh, in general, like I like the high two fifties or two sixties. You know what? We've yes. got a few people that are pretty green to bow okay. hunting that are listening to this podcast. I know from some of the questions, two forty what foot per second? Yeah, and that is hardly perceivable to you as a human. And I would probably argue not perceivable to a deer too much either. But that's neither here nor there. We're not talking about the, uh, you know, thought of string jump and all that. But in general, um, something in that what I would call mid-range speeds, the 250s, 260s, is going to be like a really um, uh, tunable, not too crazy, uh, pretty nice to shoot. Ditto. You actually shoot faster than that right now, though. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, which I'm not. I'm not afraid to. If it shoots, it tunes out well and shoots well. Yeah. I mean, I, I would prefer that because a faster arrow uh, is going to give you a little bit flatter trajectory overall. So I like it. Um, but you just got to, you know, not everybody has a, you know, like our boy Brett has like a 31 inch draw or something dumb. 30 dude, inch it draw, an 80 pound bow. Yeah, and so I mean that that's cool. But not everybody can pull that pull. 70 pounds not everybody has the draw you know i'd say if you can't pull 70 pounds you get in the gym because it's i mean 70 is a good spot to be Mm -hmm. you know that's right so tyler yep scouting on foot or driving around (laughs) that gummit is this question from who i think it's from i don't think it is okay Um, okay, well then, if it's not from that guy, then <laughs> this is a serious question. Um, I uh, so here's what we do: we always start out scouting via truck. This okay? Can I give you a little bit of background here for the for the greeners? Sure. Okay. This is assuming you have traveled somewhere to hunt, and it's not your own property or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So this is in a <clears throat> buck truck esque scenario. We've gone yep. somewhere. On a hunting trip mm-hmm. and, and now start. There's stuff to be learned. I'll try to be fast. Uh, as, uh, the couple of things you can learn from scouting from the truck are these things. Uh, how much cover exists on a property, which also could be correlate with are there cows on the property or have there been cows on the property. So two things to know. If there's no cows on the property but there's no cover, then because of them earlier, then there's an issue. Uh, if there's cows on the property but lots of cover, still might be an issue. Um is there water on the property? Is there surrounding ag? Has there been a drought? And does the ag actually exist that shows on the on X from last year? You know, is it still going to actually show up uh, this year? You know, we, we encountered that last year. Uh, is there pressure? Do you see foot foot uh, or boot tracks or uh, tire tracks around some of the parking areas? Um, what kind of trees are those uh, that I'm seeing on the map? And does that help me uh, when I look at other places, right? What kind of grass is that? And does that help me when I look at the map as well? So you really correlate what you're seeing with what you're seeing on the map. And you can start to really build a plan so that after a couple of days of driving, you may not need to even look from the truck anymore because everything you're looking at is making sense to you on the map. I wouldn't change a thing from what you said, except to say that I'm even more aggressively so a truck scouter because if I'm getting out and season is open – I'm going to be hunting when I'm in the field. I got a bow with me. Absolutely. And I think back to South Dakota with a buck truck. This That's a really cool hunt. Y'all are going to love it. Uh, we had a scouting day that we did a whole bunch of scouting on. Nothing we learned compounded into being a dead deer. All we learned was the stuff that we thought we knew we don't know. 
And then from then on, the throughout the beginning of season there, we had to adjust on the fly. So, yes, on the ground can help. But if I'm out in the field and I have the option to have a weapon on my hand, I'm going to have a weapon. Mm-hmm. So, there mm-hmm. you go. All right, we got some uh, pizza questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your favorite chain restaurant pizza that isn't part of the big three, Casey? And we, so we actually looking this preemptively up. talked about this. Okay, you're going to look it up. Trying, yeah. What the big three is, it's kind of tough. So, uh, so Domino's and Pizza Hut are two of the big yeah. three. What did you come up with? Papa John's. Papa John's is one of the big three. Dad gummit, dude. Really? Okay. I can't believe it's not Little Caesars being one of the big three. Um, I don't know if I can answer outside of those four, so I guess I'll say Little Caesars. Does Let's Little go. Caesars <laughs> deliver? Yeah, I don't know why. Because maybe that's why they're not like a uh, thought of as a, a big up. chain or yeah, whatever. Yeah, and it's do. disgusting pizza. Don't get me wrong, but like value to taste is hard to beat at Little Caesars. Uh, this is a tough one. Well, uh, Casey's is pretty good pizza. Casey's um, is. I like I Ma- Mazio's a lot. Actually, I've never had it. I think I like it a lot. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Really? Mm-hmm. How about that? Um, what about uh, frozen pizzas? I haven't had one in a long time. Red Baron blows them all out the water. That's good. You agree? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I grew up eating the real cheap ones. What were those called? You remember the Totinos? Totinos, yeah. I like yeah, those. Yeah, like 99 cent pizzas. Yeah. Gosh. Well, you that, could eat. Like, that make me sick to my stomach. Dude, my parents would let me eat three or four of them, you know, because they're only <laughs> dude, a dollar. I felt like I ate a dog bowl after <laughs> I ate one of those. It's like, yeah. I just ate plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys have Papa Murphy's down here? A little bit. Yeah, there's I've not seen many them somewhere. Yeah. There's one in Lindale. I feel like it's the same thing as Papa John's. That's right. They do half bakes there. It's one of the yeah, first places like I learned about that. Yeah, that's um, what they're known for. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and also, uh, Pizza Inn is technically a chain. Yeah. So I would say, you know, uh, I love Pizza Inn because I work there. Um, but you know <laughs> what for sure doesn't make the list for me? I've decided I'm a CC's hater. Okay. I despise See, CC's. See, I, I kind of – CC's and Little Caesars are the same in my mind. Really? Yeah. Dude, Little Caesars way better pizza. <laughs> I probably haven't eaten since those either one since I was about 15. Yep. I can't remember the last time I ate either one of those. Well, I would not choose. I would never choose either one of those. Youth group think. working, you end up at <clears throat> CC's from time to time. We got a Pizza Hut here. No, when you're like out and about. Oh, like Greenville or something like that. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> Salad. Went to College good. Station a couple times on trips, and CC's the only places we go. What's terrible is you go there and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna get a salad, and then everything there is white as snow. Mm. All the all the salad. Mm, nasty. 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 All right. All right, next pizza question. Oh, no. Tyler, uh, pineapple every time or all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I like pineapple on my pizza, actually. Um, I don't like the traditional uh, ham and pineapple, though. I like um, I like pineapple <laughs> and pepperoni and jalapeno. We used to call it the triple P when I toured in the band, which is peppers, pepperoni, and pineapple. It's a pretty good combination. It's hot Dude, and sweet. That, that is a bathroom trip for sure. <laughs> like, that's a lot of stuff in there that messes well, you up. When you're in your 20s, man, you can handle that's it. That's right, dude. Um, so here's here's the thing, dude, is that people in this world just want to be polarized. They just want to hate the other side so much. Mm. The beans and chili thing is a deal with that. Gosh, like, that one's dumb it to me. It gets on my nerves. Yeah. And I don't like pineapple on my pizza. But, Tyler, if you want to have pineapple on your pizza, it's okay, Thanks, man. Dude. You can do Thanks. what you want. You, you know? know, you thought you didn't like pineapple on chorizo, though, either. Oh, yeah, the uh, Al Pastor. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Al, not chorizo. Yeah. yeah. It's almost the same thing, depending on where it you It is. Go. It's very yeah. close, yeah. Uh, but, 
No, I've had it on pizza and it's fine, but it's not going to be my go-to. Yeah, but have you had it without the ham? The ham yeah. pineapple thing is not. I've done trippy with you. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and we it's it's fine, that. but it's it's not. We celebrate be my like once a year for a couple <laughs> <I know>. of years. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's a big deal. Now, now, now like, we eat pizza at least a dozen times a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, Casey, you have a three hundred dollar gift card. What are you buying? Three hundred dollars. Are we trying to say that groceries? It's a three hundred dollars. Sure. Assuming it's for like hunting, single purpose. Yeah. Oh, oh, it has, we're going to restrict. Just, it to well, the, the original question was: you have a three hundred dollar Shields gift card. So yeah, I've never been there, so I don't really know yeah. what they have. <laughs> it's pretty uh, cool. That's what I heard you say. It's pretty cool. Um, so do we want to make this a single item that costs around three hundred dollars? Are we going to make whatever this? you want, dude? Yeah, I think whatever you whatever. Want to do. Yeah, I think. I'm going to go with what I think is the most, the best use of $300 from a store, not to make a cute answer or whatever, you know, like, oh, actually, I buy a gas, <laughs> uh, you know, or whatever. But um, I would buy three packages of broadheads. That's going to get you about $100 worth right there. I would buy mm. a, what, $30 to $40. That's like 150 bucks, probably, huh? Right, Michael? I mean, we're going no they're tax. Like, like, oh, okay. No tax. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Taxes, taxes for Canadians, dude. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so um, you know, three packs of broadheads, a high-quality archery target that's going to cost about $150, and that leaves me $50 to spare. Uh, and like I said, I'm not paying tax. So that last $50 I'm going to spend on uh, – a couple boxes of ammo or one box of ammo. <clears throat> I'd spend it if I was remotely a shooting guy, I would spend it probably all on ammo. Um but since I'm me, I'm probably gonna buy a bunch of fishing baits right now. That's a good answer. I just go back get get a bunch of bass. Eric told me had to say hunting stuff. Oh, hunting stuff, dad comment. Uh I made that rule. Yeah, okay. I mean, it okay. doesn't have to be, I guess. Uh, if it was hunting stuff, I would probably buy um, – I'd probably just go in there and, like, buy a knife or two and some calls of all sorts <laughs> just because I, I always like calls. And uh, I'd probably buy a, a target, a bow target would be a good one for sure. And, you know, I could probably spend 300 real quick doing those kind of things. All right. Tyler. Yep. Tips on keeping a positive mindset during the season. This is a question for Gay Z. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess uh, if you okay, here's my tip: watch every video of KC hunting on the old YouTube channel, <laughs> and by the end of it, do what he does, man. Oh man! Um, because get real sick. He's uh, yeah, just get real sick, <laughs> and uh, you know, just be loud and boisterous and excited. And that's how you get positive attitude. But to, to be honest, for me, like, that is a big part of it, is certainly just hunting with KC. But, like, also, um, um, if I'm going to be serious, like, um, just realizing, for me, it's realizing that, like, nothing happens uh, without a purpose or, or a place or for, without for that's not for a reason of some sort. So just understanding that, I think I had this conversation with all of us actually, and clay when we were in, uh, uh, Arkansas one night, um, just about like trying to, trying to figure out 
sometimes you don't see the clear, clear purpose at first, or you may not never even see it, but sometimes that stuff shows up even years down the road. You're like, oh, I know exactly why I went through that, you know? So just trying to, trying to have it. I'll be real mad at myself for a few minutes for sure, if not a few hours. And then typically I kind of get over it and I, I realize it. But I, I get pretty <laughs> mad at myself in the moment for doing dumb things, missing a deer, whatever I might do. Um, or just, you know, getting, if I spook a deer and I get real mad, I'm like, oh, I should have done what I thought I should have done, you know, instead I talk myself out of it, outsmart myself. So that's, but usually I can get over it pretty quick. And, um, and then I would say just trying to get, trying to get good rest. Uh, but also, you know, just sometimes you just got to be a man and work through it. You know, you got to be hard, uh, and try to, you know, have fun and get stuff done while you can. And, uh, Sleep when you're dead, as they say. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler's also the guy that doesn't want to drive more than 10 hours straight before we can stop and get to a hotel, which that's is, right. I've learned from him that that's actually a pretty good practice. Yeah. You know, it's not way uh, better. When you have to get out and do jumping jacks, you're pretty dangerous to people and yourself. Yep. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm kind of known as a positive guy when it comes to hunting stuff. So, but this is kind of hard to answer, right? Because, uh, it kind of comes fairly naturally for me, but it's also a little forced too. I just make sure I'm having fun and hanging out with y'all helps with that a whole lot. You know, we get to have fun, have inside jokes, you know, all that stuff's good. <laughs> not but on podcast. I think, uh, yeah, I think really though, if I, if I wanted to, um, uh, kind of be a little bit more, uh, tactical about this or whatever, uh, hunting places that you can high, have high confidence in, like, I mean like locations in the country, Helps a lot with that. And with that comes also just having realistic expectations. Like if I went out around here on some Texas public ground and said, I'm only shooting 150s. Well, it'd be pretty easy for me to get down. I mean, those you shot. (laughs) (laughs) It ain't been none in Texas. That's exactly right. Yeah. So like, it's pretty easy to get down on that. But if you go out with a realistic expectation of what's going to happen – and say, man, if I shoot a pig, I'm if I see a pig, I'm gonna shoot it. Yeah. Like stuff like that makes things fun. Dude. It can be real positive whenever like you you know what to expect when you go out. Yeah, that's right, man. Setting expectations. It really is. Like mm. and, and I mean, I don't know, like somewhere along the line I just decided that one fifteens were real fun to shoot. Yeah. You know, whereas like modern culture might tell you, not not really, mm-hmm. you know, we're passing these deer and whatever. Like you start going out on some kind of tougher hunts and the one fifteen is the goal. Dude, mm-hmm. you talk about having some fun. You almost did it. <laughs> you almost did it. I was, I was thinking he it too. I'm going to go ahead and chalk that one up as a, for sure. No, 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 yeah. no, no, the no, nose no. puff got it, dude. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was an inside joke, too. <laughs> Dead gun. <good. laughs> Everything's no, the inside that joke. Was just, it was what you no, did. Uh, no, you, that it, was the inside joke be, about how, Greg, also, how no. you get Greg's approval is by a nose puff. <laughs> 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 All right, Casey, what is the perfect eating size hog? Man, uh, that's that's kind of varies, you know. Um, I will not say, I'm not one of those people that's like, you can eat any hog, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you can, but I prefer not to. I kind of think that a 150-pound sow is like primo. And I mean a healthy one, not a skinny pig. I, I would much prefer to eat any hog that's in good body condition than a skinny one that matters more to me but there's this thing of like oh man those 40 pounders that's a eater well sort of but when you go to taking the meat off a 40 pounder you end up with like you know 
12, 13, 15 pounds of meat. That's not very much food, mm-hmm. honestly. So, like, I kind of like shooting a bigger hog that's in good shape. I think that's the. I think that's an ideal eater for me. Um, I'm on par with that, man. Mm-hmm. Big sows that are fat, mm-hmm. like February sows around mm-hmm. here, man. Yummy. Hard to beat. Yes, sir. Okay, Tyler, <clears throat> do you shoot from further to make close shots easier? Uh, is this an archery question, you think? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm I'd say probably, yeah. I, Tyler, I, mean, I had to clarify because he's also the reigning champion of the <laughs> meteor long distance shoot. So he didn't know if you were asking yeah. him for advice for that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I had to figure it out. These days, you know, you never know. Um, start hanging around with a bunch of gun hunters. Um, Gunther's. <laughs> to, no. To, no, that's because you did it. <laughs> no. No, you did it earlier. That's all. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so uh, I think I do practice at longer range probably to make those easier. Um, but I I still don't think shooting at a deer at any range is always just easy because you shoot long distance. Um, because there's just so many factors uh, that – like the deer's temperament is a huge factor in this. And we just watched a video this morning of me shooting at a deer in Arkansas that I missed clean. That I thought for sure was going to come out of his skin when the bow went off. Didn't even move before the arrow got there at all. And so I think, um, you know, that's the main thing is like learning how to kind of judge the deer's temperament before you shoot at it. And also shot angles are a big deal. Um, so I know this is a little deeper than probably was intended, but, um, I do shoot longer distance most of the time. Like I walked out, I'm walk, right now my target's sitting at 60 about from my tailgate. So when I walk out there and shoot a couple shots in the morning, it's 60 yarders usually. Um, but I haven't been practicing the twenties as much. I usually, when I'm really wanting to dial and make sure that I'm dialed, I'm shooting 20 yarders in the yard. And then outside of that, I am shooting longer. Hey. This is something Ted Nugent talked about, talks about, but the mystical flight of the arrow is a fun thing to watch, mm-hmm. and you get to watch it for a long time at 60 or 70 yards. Yeah. Uh, I 100% am on par with the shooting far to be better close, but I have a caveat. I have noticed that since I do so much long-distance shooting with my bow, target practice-wise at least, I take the close shots kind of uh, a little more relaxed in mm-hmm. a bad way. And I can end up getting sloppy at 20, but you stretch it out to 45 and I'm driving tax. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is a little a level of don't forget to practice the short stuff and make sure that you're focusing on it. Now that you're shooting a 416 grain arrow, are you going to be shooting like 150 in the yard? I hadn't tried it, but I might. Should. I might do that. That way you just get relaxed on the 90-yard shots. Yeah. Like, oh, I really got to focus. <laughs> <laughs> How many arrows do you shoot during one practice session, Casey? Uh, man, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've just shot by myself for practice with a, like, no time limit type thing, you know? Like, a lot of times if I'm practicing, I'm like, hey, I got five minutes right here. Let me shoot ten arrows, and, uh, you know, uh, then I'm going to go do the other thing I need to do. But I would say that, like, if I was just going to do an evening practice session without wife or kids or people around or whatever – Probably like 30 arrows is probably pretty good. Um, you know, kind of th- three volleys. or I'm sorry, 10, 10 volleys of three is probably what I would do. I probably, if, yeah, I mean, if I'm getting like a for real session in, I'm probably shooting 20 to 30 arrows as well. 
after that, you start to kind of usually lose some of your form stuff, your focus, because you're back and forth. That, that takes a long time when you shoot three or four arrows at a time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you just want to make sure that you're kind of doing – using the right techniques and and also, like, you know, you typically um, are going to be shooting a deer on the first shot. So that's really the one that needs to have the most emphasis on it probably, you know? Do you practice shooting from the saddle? <clears throat> Never. Never. <laughs> I, uh, when we first started trying saddles out, practiced a little bit of stuff. I didn't actually shoot arrows, but just like kind of feeling. Now, I made a video about how to shoot from a saddle. That's on YouTube. Pretty good video, I think. Uh, but <laughs> we, uh, I've shot a lot of animals out of one at this point in time. So I don't, honestly, I hardly ever anymore practice like in a real hunting scenario type. I mean, and, I, if you got the time, yeah, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I, don't I think I think it's good because just to get used to it, because there is a little bit of like core. You got to initiate your core a little bit and use that, and and there's a little bit of like you might want to make sure when you come to full draw that your bubble's sitting in the right spot and stuff. But like, uh, you know, not everybody. I don't know. You get kids and you start running out of time to do mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah. But if you'd had the time, it's not a bad idea to do every once in a while. I wouldn't say all the time necessarily, but it, I mean, it, whatever you got time for, Dude, it, you know? My answer is shoot or shoot. That's right, man. It just, you got to be a gamer. That's right. You know, people won't, people won't like that very much, but it's the truth. <laughs> no, but it is. All right. Uh, Casey's, you can start this one. If every one out of three shots goes to the right, what am I doing wrong? You're being inconsistent with everything you're doing. It's you know it's hard to say, but it's not equipment most likely unless you have something loose on your bow. The only time your bow is doing something different shot to shot is when something's loose. Now you can have an open group and you need to shoot a lot to see if that's the thing, and you might need to shoot like ten arrows at once at a target to see if you got a you know if your group's just real open. If that's the case, you probably have a fletching spine tuning arrow issue or maybe some contact with your rest or something like that. Um, now, most likely what's going on is you're punching the trigger or there was a specific direction, they said. To the right. Yeah, well, assuming right this is a right-handed, right-handed shooter, right? So that's kind of a hard thing. And what distance it is matters, yada, yada. I would say since there's so many variables here, it's on you as a shooter doing something wrong. And it's likely to be in your anchor or your release or your follow through. Or maybe torque on your bow hand uh, that doesn't show up in every shot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. 
The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Yeah, and Market House provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken, Mm. grass-fed lamb, and even wild-caught king crab and seafood. Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if the filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Tyler, are there any ways to minimize pin movement while at full draw other than just repetition? Yep. Okay, I'm calling it, dude. You, I didn't even hear the you question. You looked at me. I didn't hear that. You looked at me. <laughs> no. You were, you were not <laughs> Go ahead. Say that question again. I didn't hear it all. That's how I know you. it was your fault because I knew exactly what he asked. But what? you were distracted by the agent, Tyler. Dude, you could see all the things at one time. Oh, that gummit. The question is, what are ways to minimize pin movement? And who was that directed to? Me. No. So, <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> I said Tyler first. Yeah. <laughs> KC would say, how many H's are in that word, Tyler? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. How to minimize pin movement. Uh, I'll, okay, here's a couple of thoughts. Um, uh, I usually get up. I shoot in the mornings a lot, and if I do that, um, I've got caffeine really just raging sometimes. And that's not a good way to keep your pins from moving around. Uh, but maybe it does simulate uh, the adrenaline rush that you get with an animal. So it's kind of part of the deal. But for me, like once I know my bow is shooting well, uh, then for several weeks, I typically don't worry too much about like 
if it, if I'm shooting a bad group, I pretty much know it's me. You know what I mean? So for a while, at least, until I feel like maybe it's getting out of tune or something. Uh, so as far, but as far as like the pin movement, um, I mean, you're going to have a little bit of float. I think overall, uh, some of the things that you can do, I think I'm not probably the best guy to teach this. Um, uh, but there are other guys that can teach you things uh, that maybe I don't know. You know how to pull into your back wall correctly or, uh, you know, also like maybe where the, um, where the riser touches your hand or whatever, pretty much, you know, where the, the grip is actually coming across your palm and certain things like that. Those are questions that like, to be honest, like a John Dudley or somebody probably has a video on, you know, that's probably way more, uh, better able to answer those questions. Uh, we have a friend, Rod White, who's a really good sh- shooter as well. We might should get him on to talk about some of those things too. So these are questions that are good that we can try to remember and maybe have on guys in the future that can answer those. Um, so there's this moderately mythological thing called target panic that people have a hard time with sometimes. Um, I personally, this man, y'all love it when I make like these outlandish comments, right? But mm-hmm. um, I think that a lot of people's target panic has – a lot to do with people shooting bows that don't fit them the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's how my, the old triacs I used to shoot, I f- like had these signs of target panic. And then as soon as I switched bows to something different, I mean, it was went away completely. And I think it was because <clears throat> uh peep height, I think was an issue with me with that bow, which puts your T all out of what? Is that a, <laughs> is that a rock of some sort? Peep height? Yeah. Peepite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is uh, that like a sort of mineral? I think that's uh, where they put the Easter candies where, like, where at on the shelf is the peepite. Peep height, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, all that to say is like go to a shop and make sure your fitment on your bow is correct and make sure you're building a good base. Then if you have issues just as a shooter – with um, you know, keeping your your uh, pins from moving too much. Uh, one of the things that used to help me some is to not worry about the pins moving That's, and just yeah. shoot. And sooner or later, you realize like, man, if pin moves around and still, arrow still ends up hitting the same place. It's almost kind of weird how it works. Um, but um, yeah, I would say make sure everything's fitting right on your bow, and then. Um, from there, just practice. And here's another another thought I had. Will it go in yes? This question. Um, I've done a, a lot of weightlifting in my life, and there was a point in time whenever I would put 225 pounds on a bar and bench press that, and that was very difficult for me. And I'd be very shaky, you know, on the descent and ascent of the bar. And then I got very strong, and that was no longer a problem. <clears throat> and I could just do that very fluidly. And I think that. Bows are a lot like that. You know, if you're shooting 70 pounds and you're barely shooting it and you're hold, whatever your holding weight is and it isn't very comfortable for you, good chance you're going to be shaky. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to it's the work out a lot and, or not a lot, but work out enough to where you're uh, very comfortable with what you're shooting and then the shake will go down. I've also, can I say something real quick? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've also done, like, if you don't have time to weightlift, which I definitely have time. I just didn't. But, you know, you could sit in your house with your bow and just practice holding your bow just with your – I'm trying to think of what 
this arm would be called. Like, That's your right hand. Yeah, my right hand. You're holding so, arm? Yeah, your holding arm. Do you yeah. have to hold just it with like, right hand, though? Whatever hand you hold your, your riser hand. Your riser hand. <laughs> yeah. You just hold it there for 10 to 20 seconds, and you'll start to feel your arm get tired, but mm-hmm. just practice holding it up, and, like, maybe you do a couple 10 reps of lifting it up and down, Ooh. but you can actually feel it in your shoulder yeah. when you do these just mini workouts. That's mm-hmm. a good point, and one of the things I would advise on that, though, is to you got to watch out for the death grip. Mm-hmm. When you're doing that, you know, because whenever you're actually drawing your bow, mm-hmm. you have that resistance that holds your bow in your hand. Whereas if it's just up here like this, a lot of times you're gripping it more because you have more force. I shouldn't say more force. Um, you have a heavier force downward than you do backward. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. Never mind. So, <laughs> uh, also, uh, we didn't think about this too much, but we just assumed that this was a archery thing and not as much of a buck fever type thing so let's throw a little something in there of like hunt some animals and shoot some stuff mm-hmm. if, if, if it's more that if you're saying you shake when there's deer around or whatever which i understand completely Tyler's about to shoot a, a bird i mean uh, <laughs> it's kind of, it's <laughs> he's got a bug assault gun over here um anyways uh find you some targets and do some shooting like live targets what are the chances we're halfway done on this thing I think we are. Pretty close? Yep. Good, man. We uh, should definitely pick up the pace. <laughs> it's hard, man. <laughs> it is. All right, next question. KC, if traveling to public to hunt for just one day because of work, what's your prep for turkeys? Uh, man, I just have zero experience with this particular scenario. Um, I have a little bit with that with deer. Prep? Uh, is If it's a place you've been to before, uh, I guess... I don't, I don't, I don't know how you prep for one day unless you just have. I get here's here's my answer. Make sure everything is in order with your gear. That way, if you only have one day to hunt, you don't have any questions about where's this, where's that, and you don't waste any time outside of your hunting. Is that's, it public land? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say find uh, a creek system that's like a mile or more back, and think that's where they're probably roosting, and go to it. Try to listen in the morning. Get up early. Speaking of public land, <clears throat> how do you find public land in Texas if you're new to hunting, Tyler? Um, well, on X is a good place to start. On X hunt, yep. Look for the greens. Greg said, "Will it go?" Sam Houston National Forest, a real big place. You can go there. <laughs> That's true, man. There's a bunch of. I mean, yeah. that really, all, honestly, down in that area, there's quite a bit of public land yeah. down in there. But there's, I mean, it's all over. It's all over the place. Uh, there's stuff that's hard to know that's accessible and some that's a lot of it that's not accessible. So you just gotta, you know, call the, uh, the, uh, land authority over whatever land that is and ask them. The king is KC says. Mm, That's right. (laughs) All right. Inside joke. (laughs) I'm the worst. (laughs) Am I the worst? I don't think I am normally. I think you're just focused on it. it. Uh, yeah, same answer, so I don't have anything to add. Okay. Uh, you'll be a good one to answer this next one. Good. I'm an average guy that wants to set up a oh. buck truck. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm an average guy. No, no. <laughs> I'm an average guy that wants to set up a buck truck. What are the must slash creature comforts? All right. Average um, meaning uh, average income, probably. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm guessing. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I would say a camper topper shell 
cab, as Eric calls them, uh, <laughs> which is a little confusing. Uh, that would be the number one. That's what. That's like the first thing that makes it a buck truck. I think is is having that. And Tyler uh, was the uh, pioneer of this um, in our little group because then you could lock your stuff in there and haul a lot more stuff. Like it just makes your bed bigger because you can start stacking stuff and put a bunch of the stuff in the back of the truck. So there's that. Um, charging devices and stuff like that inside the truck also makes something a buck truck. I haven't talked about that much with y'all, but you know, really like being able to charge your phone, charge whatever else you have, camera stuff, whatever it might be that you're running, uh, is a big deal. Um, having just like man stuff inside of a truck is also kind of a big flashlights, knives, um, something to eat. You know, usually I'm going to have some food in my truck and some drinks in my truck uh, almost all the time that makes it a buck truck. And then after that, uh, your truck just has to be good at finding deer, and that's what really makes it a buck that's truck. That's the number one thing, in my opinion. You, yeah. have to, you have to increase your prowess of hunting because the buck truck can't be a buck truck if it don't ever have a buck in it. That's it. Even if it sees bucks, you know, because the buck truck didn't actually solidify it was kind of a joke until we smoked the Oklahoma bucks. That's right, smoke Oklahoma. We smoked Oklahoma, <laughs> and uh, and then at that point it was like, okay, this thing had some bucks in it. You yeah, know? yeah. Okay, Tyler. <clears throat> Public land hunting in Texas. What's the most effective way to be successful on a budget? I'm guessing those two statements are connected. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't know how they connect very well. Uh, I would say on a budget, I mean, you're on a budget if you're hunting public land, pretty much, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, for deer. Um, Man, I'm trying to think of how that actually connects anyway. I mean, the most, to me, uh, it's not the budget factor that makes you successful, really. It's not like, finances aren't, um, if you're hunting public land, then that's the limiting factor. It's mm-hmm. not the finances as much because, I mean, you I can see where a, people are going though. Because like the always the I remember not having a lot of time and thinking I could buy more stuff because I worked a lot and felt that would make me better. At oh, stuff. okay. But that's not actually the case. I got as you. you're getting what you're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, it's not really any gear um, that can help you a ton. I think one of the one for if you're talking about deer hunting here, one of the more, most important pieces of gear that has kind of changed Casey and I's ability to be successful hunting some public land is the saddles. Honestly, that's been one of the top things for for us. I think because really more than anything, it's just a matter of being less tired at the end of each day because of dealing with a big old stand on your back slash walking in a mile, seeing a stand there and having to like find somewhere else to go. And you got this, you know, 13 pound, you know, deal on your back at the, you know, on the light end, usually it just gets, it just wears you out and you just want to put it up somewhere and quit hauling it around. And you end up putting it in a spot that you settled on. That's not a very good spot. Whereas with saddles, you just, there's several times you and I were just watching a video this morning, Eric, where, 
uh, we were in Arkansas and we killed a doe and almost killed a monster buck too in the same hunt after walking a long ways in that morning. We had saddle gear on our backs and we decided to sit on the ground because it's not that big a deal mm-hmm. to, to, to do that. You didn't bring, it's not like, oh, I brought this thing in here, you know, for, for no reason. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like, it doesn't feel like much on your back. So I think to me, if you're going to like take and say, I got to budget some money towards gear, I would say a saddle can put you within shooting distance of deer for pretty much every bow that has been made. So if you don't want to spend money, 1200 bucks on a bow, you can spend half that or whatever on a saddle system. That would be probably my advice. But ultimately, to be successful, you just got to get out there and learn a lot. And you're going to be unsuccessful at first. Yeah. The ones we've been using those cruiser saddles, our buddy Chad makes, and they're pretty legit. They are super uh, comfortable. That's the thing too. Yeah. You know, once you do get up in them, you're comfortable. I'm going to take this a little different direction and kind of go. I kind of already touched on this in a different question, but uh, the question is how to be successful on a budget, right? I would say uh, make sure your definition of success is reasonable. That's mm-hmm. going to help you be successful. And I'm not going to take the cheesy way out on this and say well success is getting out on public lands you know like no success is killing something we are here to hunt and kill yeah i just talked about that doe that we killed that was a success exactly that's what i'm getting at man is like if you're on a budget that probably means that you're a working class feller and that means that the more you work the more money you make right and you're gonna take and you're gonna set aside five seven eight days a year whatever it is in the fall that you get to go do what you love to do deer hunt well, if you dedicate that time and say, I'm passing everything that ain't a 150, the chances of you having success are low. But if you go out there saying, I'm going to go kill something today, you got a good chance of killing something. That's today. right, dude. And squirrels you know? are fun to shoot. That's right, man. So just make sure that, um, you know, your budget ma- matches your expectation of success. Yeah. KC, where's the best turkey hunting? <laughs> Somewhere on private ground, that's for sure. I would say uh, Iowa looks pretty good. To Iowa me. looks pretty good. Uh, there's a lot of Rios in Texas on private ground too. Yep. Okay, Tyler. Mm-hmm. If I'm climbing ropes to get into my tree, is it wise to leave the rope up or take it down every time? I'm guessing this is a um, what do they call it? Repelling. Situation probably something like that. It's a little know. bit unconventional, but uh, sounds neat. What, what's the exact question again? If he's using ropes to climb into his tree, would he leave up the ropes every time or take I, it down? Every time? I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's like a hunter's safety line or whatever. I don't know. I think if it's a line like that that you you clip into and you you kind of move it up as you climb, you're like um, uh, you know ladder or whatever. Um, then probably leave that up. You just want to make sure it's tacked at the bottom too, so it doesn't sit there and get wind wrapped around something. Um, and just you know try to run it close to the to the trunk of the tree, so there's not any other weird issues. Um, if it's a repelling situation, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I feel like a r- random rope hanging in the woods is a potentially just a noose for a animal running through there. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's just uh, it's a, it's a, uh, not a question that I've ever encountered, I don't guess. It's hard for me to answer for sure, I guess, without more information. Yeah. I mean, I'm all about leaving stuff up when, when you can. So, yeah. sure. Okay. KC, how often do you fill your feeders? 
tricks on keeping the corn from rotting. <laughs> uh, so I have, it's been a while since I have had experience with deer feeders in particular. Now, I have a lot of hog feeder experience. What? Well, that could what? have been considered an inside joke. I was singing a song. Okay. <laughs> Just I, not I, I you and it. me are the only ones on the inside. <laughs> <I'm honest. laughs> what else? What was it? Stained. It's been a while oh. since I cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fill so. my feeder up high. Um, man, it's hard to not be sarcastic with this answer. So sorry, uh, person. Uh, but like, just fill them when you when they think they're out. I, I I don't I don't know I don't know much about the deer feeder. Sometimes like, people stuff. have another question. Or another situation that we don't fully see in these yeah, questions. I think so. maybe this is like the least thing, and filling feeders is a thing that people do at oh, the least. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's really neat, and it works unless the coons are after them real hard, is that uh, we've got some feeders that uh, you put in how many pounds of corn you got and how many seconds they run, and it tells you how many days of corn you got in there. Yeah. It's kind of handy. Yeah. It usually holds like 40, 40 days of corn, which I think we actually do need to go put some corn in feeders this, this week. Uh, the tip for not rotting, I think I can answer, though. Um, the um, the funnel thing in the bottom of the feeder is real mm-hmm. helpful for that. So, like, it's like an insert, right? And, and it takes, like, the feeder capacity down, like, 10 pounds of corn, but big deal, just throw it on the ground. Um, that helps a lot. And then just having a really good ring on top, that closes it all up. Yeah, it's got to be sealed yeah. from the top. Yep. And not have holes in your deer feeder and stuff. Anything else, Tyler? Mm-mm. Where do you guys place your uh, deer feeders? Field edges or in the woods, Tyler? It's very situational. So um, as I learned a long time ago doing this podcast thing, I, I, I like it when people don't just say that and they actually give some situations. And so I'm going to do that. Um, for me um, – like we've got stuff for hogs and this is also would be the same for deer that's in the woods mm-hmm. and deer are just going to feel more comfortable doing that. A field edge is a great place for a rifle hunter to see the deer come out. So if you got kids or whatever, or you're not bow hunting, then field edge works. I have one that is on a field edge right now that I just have there so that we can get some footage of pigs. If they come out, it's really close to the edge of the woods. Um, but uh, otherwise, we would have to, like, sit a tree stand instead of just, you know, oh, there's pigs back there. Let's go shoot them or whatever. So it just kind of depends. But I will say this. Deer typically feel more comfortable in the woods um, during daylight hours. So if you want to see them in daylight, being in the woods with a feeder would be a good place to be. And then another thing to consider with your feeders, just an extra little tip here, is don't uh, don't make the deer feel like they're boxed in when they go into a feeder, like brush and stuff like that. You can't have, you know, you don't want brush to be all on all sides of it. In fact, if you can get it away from like thicker brush for the most part, that way when they come in, they don't feel boxed in. They feel like they can see because they're just super aware in those situations. I, uh, my, my experience of late with this is just pretty much at my property. It's not even with a feeder, but it's at like a place I put corn. And um, I put it kind of in an old growth field situation where there's a lot of cover around, but not big trees or whatever. Um, and feeders get weird because of wind direction stuff. So I kind of like to have the feeding spot a little bit away from where you're going to do your killing. And if you do that, 
it gives you <laughs> options for wind directions on different places you can set up. Mm-hmm. Now, you can also do that when the feeder's anywhere, but um, I, I kind of feel like uh, if you kind of put it out in the open a little bit, they kind of have the places they like to come out or whatever, depending on the wind, and that kind of helps with that. Okay, this question is pertaining to snacks. Casey, are you ever worried about your chocolate melting? Yes, uh, in the early season. <laughs> i tell you what, this is a funny deal. I do like a snacky snack in my pack, uh, particularly a uh, Snickers bar is pretty nice. Like a little, you know, Tyler, there's a specific size. Fun size, is that the ones that are? You've you've talked about this, I think. I think um, fun size is the fun right. size is a good one, and I don't like chocolate that has been melted and then uh, solidified again because it gets <laughs> kind of white and crusty, and it's not my favorite. So yes, I would like to have my chocolate to stay solid. Yeah, I think chocolate it can always melt. You got to be careful with it. <laughs> Keep it in the truck for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, how do you tell a deer trail is fresh? Um. Well, the trail, the trail is typically not, I don't know, the, the trail, if the trail's worth hunting, it's probably not a fresh trail, but the tracks on the trail um, are what I'm assuming is being talked about here. And the way to tell that the tracks on the trail are fresh are based off of typically based off of weather as much as anything. Um, so it depends on how wet it's been how wet it is and um and or how dry vice versa right and then you would look at certain things so if it's if it's wet um something you could look at is like if mud uh dr- has dropped off of the hoof after it came out or folded forward and then you can see where that mud is real thin and or just little drops of it if it's dried out or if it looks to be a different color, maybe it's because it's super fresh from down underneath the, the ground surface or whatever. You can also see where like sometimes there's water that's muddy sitting in the track, um, things like that. Um, if it's dry, uh, typically winds will kind of make those tracks, um, the edges of the tracks be kind of rounded more so if it's a super sharp edge in the dust there it's probably a pretty fresh track any other thoughts um i would just piggyback off off of that and say if you have a hard time identifying this stuff and say you're out and you see a deer walk through somewhere or run through somewhere go look at the track Mm -hmm. that deer left and Mm -hmm. you'll know what a really fresh track looks like yeah dude that's the best way to do it just and, and you work backwards from it like that you can learn a lot from just seeing Oh, this is what really fresh tracks look like. Yeah. And the same thing goes for about near any deer sign. You see one lay down some sign, like an ostrich on that TV right there is taking a duke. If you go see a deer duking, and we actually have a video of this that we never released. We might should release it about deer poop. Yeah. And what you can learn from it and what it looks like and that, this and that and the other. You, I think people in general think that deer poop is fresher than it is. Yeah. Almost all the time. Yeah. Yep. A fresh deer poop is going to be green, slimy, warm, of course, very, very wet, like way wetter than what you think it is. Yeah. So, and, and that's just, I think you could go overall. People in general overestimate how fresh deer sign is. Uh, you want you want to be like, oh, there's deer in here. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you want. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you're just walking in the woods. Mm-hmm. What do we call it? Bow hiking or whatever? Yeah. That's what it. you used to call yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> that's what you're doing most of the time. <laughs> Texas public land bow hike. That's it, man. <laughs> so... Uh, there was one other thing I was going to say about what you're saying. 
Oh, well, just the fact that experience is like mm-hmm. the best teacher in all a mm-hmm. lot of these questions we're just talking about. KC, strategy mm-hmm. to hunting pigs on public land versus private. Um, so <laughs> I like to move on public ground. You know, if I'm trying to figure out the ways I hunt pigs differently on public than private, uh, first off, on public, a lot of times I'm not running bait or almost exclusively not running bait. And I'm hunting with a shotgun a decent amount of times on public ground. Uh, and with that, it's like a spot and stalk type thing to where I'm moving constantly, hopefully with a couple other guys so we can kind of do a pseudo push through an area, find the pigs and shoot them. Uh, and you want the wind in your face, not just in your favor, but in your face, because you're trying to find pigs that are are not mobile, that are bedded, and you can smell them if the wind is in your face and you'll know that they're there a lot of the times. Um uh, you're also looking for pretty fresh sign. You know, if there's not pig sign around, then there's probably not pigs. Um, and that usually actually isn't roots. Like pigs tend to root in places that they're not actually staying. Uh, you're usually looking for pig beds, which look like giant bird nests, uh, rubs on trees, which just looks like a place where a cow rubbed on the tree for a long time, or mud on the tree that's that's wet, wallers, stuff like that. Um, whereas on private, you're a lot of times you're hunting with bait. Uh, with bows or guns or whatever. With guns, there's not a lot of strategy. You just find a pig and shoot it. Um, but with bows, you're going to, if you're hunting around bait, you're going to be with a favorable wind direction uh, according to the bait pile. Uh, but oftentimes, if you're directly down, downwind of the bait, the pig's going to end up directly downwind of you trying to smell the bait. So, like, add a 90 to it is is a pretty good thing. Um, and, yeah, Tyler, what, what, any more thoughts on there? I kind of I kind of word vomited there. No, but. not not much. I mean, I would say that um, the distance. <clears throat> I mean, it's like what you would consider with deer or turkeys or whatever. Like the distance from the trailhead or whatever parking area is probably pretty much greater um, on hogs. They're not idiots. They are very smart, and uh, they feel pressure as much, or if not more, than deer, and will just completely. I mean, it does not take long for pigs to just relocate. That's a good point. They're pretty nomadic. Pigs um, don't have a super heightened sense or senses like deer do. Deer almost, like, know they can out-smell you and out-hear you, where pigs are kind of aware that they don't. Mm-hmm. So if they get disturbed or busted, they're kind of out of there. Yeah. Whereas a deer, he might, like, change his travel path or come through in the dark or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, if you don't want to walk through it, then that's typically where pigs will be, mm-hmm. the thick, thick stuff. Find something with stickers. That's where the pigs are. <laughs> Tyler, you are uh, you love a good creek crossing. Oh, yeah. How shallow does the water need to be for it to be a creek crossing? Um, for deer to cross a creek, it um, needs to have water in it. So... If it has water in it, a deer can cross it. Um, deer will swim rivers. You can look them up. Look up videos online. They will swim rivers and lakes. Now, to be something that gives me, like, kind of some faith in hunting there and having success there, I typically think of a, cro- a creek crossing as being, like, brisket high or, you know, like, pretty shallow. I think we hunted a deer... Uh, 
that we called Teenager a couple of years back. If you're one of the one that's been around for a few years, you might know this the story of this buck a little bit. But we hunted this deer for like two or three years. And uh, his main home range had a really pretty major creek system running through the middle of it that was like pretty deep. And I always thought, I was like, man, just I just don't think that deer's crossing that creek a whole lot. Because he doesn't have any reason to. He's got plenty of habitat here. Well, we put like a camera web out with like four or five cameras and on both sides of the creek. And this deer would show up one day on one side of the creek. The next day, he'd be 400 yards away on a different camera on the other side of the creek. And just, you know, so I just realized that 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 was a teaching moment for me that the deer will cross stuff. But typically especially when you're talking about does does don't have a reason to just go crazy and and try to find other animals you know cross by crossing creeks so you know bucks will do it uh but as far as does go like if you can you know find something that's you know brisket or lower deer will does will cross that stuff pretty regular but if it's higher than that you don't see does crossing that stuff very often i don't feel like which to me um, you know, the only reason you'd hunt something that's deep, that's a creek crossing is if you just know that a buck's going through there a bunch, because otherwise you're probably not, you're probably going to sit there and not see anything. If you're going to hunt a creek crossing, you know, you want it to be dry or shallow because does can come across and a buck could be smelling them up and walk right behind them too, you know? So that's, those, how, that's how I feel more confident. Those are going to do things that are safe yeah. in all things. That's that their whole purpose in existence is remaining safe so the next generation can continue hmm. whereas a buck's whole purpose in life is to do dangerous things so the next generation can continue right hmm. so the, you look at those things a little bit differently and so it's hard to predict a dangerous creek crossing that a, deer, a buck might use uh the only thing to add to what you were saying is that um the trail that crosses the creek matters to me as oh, much yes, for or sure. more than the actual creek crossing. So, like, the Midwest especially, the creek might be just monotonous, monotonously – that's a hard word um, – <laughs> might be monotonous in depth uh, for a long path or long flow area, right? But there's these worn-down spots on the bank that the deer habitually use that spot to, to cross. So, that's – that's what I'm thinking about more than I am like, oh, it's a little shallower right there. Yeah. And then you take that, like we talk about a lot, you pair that with what's going on or what uh, what in the area. Look at hey, you. Look hey, at you. Hey, um, <laughs> you you want to make sure you give yourself, like, it's to me, I, if I want to feel real confident hunting creek crossing, it's not just uh, the fact that it is a creek crossing. It's not just the fact that it's worn down, but it's the fact that maybe – those two things plus the fact that, hey, there's still uh, – or there's fresh-cut corn on the other side of the creek, mm. and there's a bunch of thick stuff back over here. Um, or this is actually where most of the deer actually pinch down to mm. because of these features, whatever they might be, thickets, down trees, whatever. So you just really – and that's – we talk about this a lot too. Like you have to get in there and then also ha- you have to like observe the micro habitat and make micro moves within that little area to make sure that your shots aren't 40 yards they're 25 you know or whatever so we could talk about this stuff yeah these are questions we could talk about for yeah, a long time. we can go on and on about that <laughs>
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth market house has the cleanest leanest juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier yeah and market house provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken mm. grass-fed lamb and even wild-caught king crab and seafood Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. KC, what's the best boots? The best boots. Man, that's hard to say. You know, I wore Ariots a lot through my life. Mm. Taught, saw Tyler has a pair of Anderson Beans in there. Um, Do I? Yeah. I don't even know. Um, but I'm assuming we're talking about hunting boots here. Um, that's hard to say because it changes depending on where you're going. But, you know, in general, if you had to just – and you could only buy one pair of boots for the next 10 years – uh, those Alpha Burley Pro uninsulateds are pretty hard to beat. Just a rubber boot, knee-high rubber boot that's not insulated is pretty good, I think. I like the uh, – I think it's the Alpha Agility um, non-insulated. 
that's kind of a brown color. Mm, yeah. I like those a lot. Um, Not as durable, I found out, but that's because yeah. it's got a lot of neoprene on it as opposed to rubber. But yeah. they're way lighter. They, yeah, they're, they're and just nice, easy to walk in and stuff. So I like those boots a lot too. I would probably, I'd probably choose that for a hunting boot as well, I think. How do I get started fishing, Tyler? Cast a line. <laughs> um, I mean, I would say this. Here's a couple things to think about that I see common mistakes. Um, you need you a rod and a reel, and you can buy a combo for real cheap from Bass Pro or wherever. I mean, you stuff's not hard to come by. Academy, Walmart. Um, you need, if you just want to start fishing, you can start fishing ponds uh, or, you know, whatever you want to call them that little stock tanks or whatever that might have bass in them that are not super picky, um, not public. And I would use, depending on water clarity, and this is where things can get confusing, but I would start with like, if you're fishing farm ponds and start with like six or eight pound test. I think people a lot of times go and put some 20 or 30 pound big game, you know, fishing line on a catfish rod and try to go catch trout in the stock ponds with them and they don't they don't catch nothing you know so i think just making sure like you might just break a few fish off before you actually realize you need to go up in the pound test rather than go the other way and just think oh well, i'm not catching any fish i don't know what i'm doing i think typically um if you want to catch bass uh, eight pound test until you you know get you know to the lake fork or whatever um, and probably just like an offset hook with, uh, maybe like a eighth or quarter ounce bullet weight and a green pumpkin lizard is a hard bait to beat. So those, those are my tips. If you want to do like more of the, if you just want to fish period, you can also just put you some four pound test on and get you a thing of crickets and some tiny hooks that'll fit in a little bluegill's mouth. Go to town, man. Yep. Split uh, shot. I think hunting or fish is a lot like hunting. Like success makes it a lot more fun. So don't get caught up in style points. Don't think you got to use a, a open face reel or anything in particular. Get something that's going to work. A Zebco three hundred three or Zebco thirty three is pretty hard to beat, man. Mm-hmm. And I caught a ton of fish on those in my lifetime. And uh, menace, man, put your men on and free float that thing out. Mennonites, yeah, is that that's what short for Mennonite. Oh, yep. All right, Mennonite. <laughs> get out of here, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, use live bait, man. Catch some fish. He may put an H in Tyler, but you put an A in Menace. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Why do you choose to use a deer cart over quartering in the field, Casey? Casey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we do both. So mm-hmm. I guess it uh, situationally, why would we do one or the other? Uh, deer cart, usually whenever it's like fairly uh, cartable terrain, is a big deal. Um, you know, if, if it's flatter ground or not hog rooted up or you don't have a lot of creek crossings or whatever to where you're going is a big deal. Um, and I like taking them out whole because the meat usually stays cleaner that way. It, or it's easier to keep clean, you know, because the deer are packaged naturally. So you don't have to do as much to it. Um, so, I, and deer carts make the load way easier because if you're quartering a deer, Someone has to bear every pound of that deer out, whereas on a deer cart, you're balancing it on an axle, and you're not lifting a ton. You, you know, it's 
it's easy to pull something 90 degrees from gravity than it is to hold it up from gravity and also walk with it. Uh, now, the situations that we would quarter a deer is whenever it's a difficult distance back to the vehicle, whether that is because of, again, distance or terrain or whatever. Um, and you've got the guys in the packs to do it. Uh, so, I don't know. That's my answer. Tyler, anything else? Pretty much. That's pretty much it. You know, yeah. if you got like a two track for a long ways, it's a good mm-hmm. place to use a cart. If there's a bunch of laydowns, don't use a cart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, the, it's just, it, and here's another thing is, uh, I believe Texas, on a lot of Texas public, you can't quarter a deer. Yeah. You got to carry them out. Holy, you want to talk about a beat down, dude. Yeah. Some of those, you know, carting things that you got to do there is just, that's tough, man. But, for whatever reason, that's a rule. Okay, next question is, how do you cool the meat when you're hunting in warm weather? That's the Tyler. Is it? Yep. Okay, I just had... Oh, just wait till one. the evening. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot them when it's dark. I'd say you just get a, get all your friends around and just blow on it real hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, when it's hot, uh, I mean, there's plenty of guys that talk about ways to do this out west. Um but really, the best idea is to get in the shade. I know we were, you know, we didn't have a beautiful clear creek beside us when we were hunting Neil Guy. Um, and so we couldn't just, like, soak the meat. Um, it pretty much had to soak in the shade where it was 80. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just go as fast as you can uh, and then get it on ice and ice chest once you get it to, once you get it to your truck. And you just pretty much, you got it. I mean, dude, we packed a Neil Guy out, you and me, in a couple hours yeah i mean after we started working on it probably yeah i bet you we were done in less than four hours yeah and that's like from the shot till the last tailgate close yeah yeah and i mean once you once you start getting the cape off that thing it's going to cool off pretty good you put in the shade it's there's not many situations where that meat's just going to spoil really quick in my opinion Mm -hmm. i mean that was it was literally like 85 the stuff was in the shade we're in also a humid climate Mm -hmm. and all that meat's good, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, I ate some yesterday. Uh, yeah. So, um, the uh, thing to keep in mind there too is that quartering does help for sure. You mm-hmm. know, you, you just disperse the heat. But I mean, deer are running, you know, around hundred degrees, just like humans are. So, like, if it's eighty nine, you're not going to gain a ton by yeah. that. But getting that skin off of it and getting it in the shade. And letting the breeze hit it helps quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I think that's getting on ice as quick as you can is the answer. So yep. maybe quick as you can is don't mess with the quarter and get that sucker out of there. You know, because yep. like we couldn't do that with a nil guy. But with mm-hmm. a deer, just, you know, get it. And and maybe you need to keep this in mind. This is a big point, actually. Know that it's hot when you go hunting and be ready. Take ice with you whenever you mm-hmm. whenever you go you know ice is cheap or freeze your freeze your jugs like i've been doing that way you got ice at the truck when you're when you're there have your deer cart ready even bring your deer cart in if you think you're gonna kill something that night bring your deer cart halfway or whatever you mm-hmm. know save you some time little stuff like that can help yep okay kc mm. you're pretty good behind the camera mm. Stop. Mm, <laughs> what's the best beginner camera best beginner camera got is him. gonna be a uh a autofocusing um, <laughs> camcorder. Uh, so um, I started out with an X100, which is a Sony. But any of those, uh, you know, something that's, I mean, truthfully, 
pay for something 4K because, goodness gracious, guys, we live in the world of 4K nowadays, you know, like – well, uh, it's not the that, element does. The element does. <laughs> it's not that expensive, you know. Like, just understand you're going to spend a decent amount of money on it and and go with it, right? I mean, you don't have to have slow mo if you're just trying to film stuff for yourself and for your buddies to see and stuff like that. So, you know, get you something that is an autofocusing camcorder. It's going to be the. My. Here's your Sony Handycam AX53 4K for eleven hundred bucks at Best Buy. So. I think you get into something a little less expensive than that that oh, would yeah. work still for, for sure. sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you could. I mean, I'll be honest. If you if you want to get into this stuff, if you don't know where to start or whatever, I just start filming your stuff with an iPhone and learning from you know learning how to edit, and then you can really decide if you want to get into it. You mm-hmm. know, I, I'm the guy that like buys expensive stuff so that I, because I'm kind of hard headed and I know that like I'll stay with things a lot of times. But I know a lot of people aren't like that. Like my wife, she doesn't need to buy an expensive thing to try to get into a new hobby because she just might not be doing it in a in a little way, you know, a couple months or whatever. So, okay, how large of a circle for a hog fence around a feeder, Tyler? Largest you can afford. I mean, uh, if you're looking at trying to make deer feel comfortable, keep them in the biggest possible box you can make. That's my opinion. Yep. I mean, within reason, too, you know, that's, I mean, honestly, if you can afford to fence off your whole property and keep the pigs out, you're going to have a deer sanctuary. That's right. But, you know, I think that a deer wants plenty of room to be inside of a, of a feeder pen and walk around. Uh, just for example, the place, yours back there is, is a square and it's three panels on each mm-hmm. side, three 16-foot panels. 48 yeah, 48, 48 foot 48. squared. Yeah. So, I mean, and deer will go in it, but I still feel like it could be a panel or two bigger mm-hmm. pretty easy and, and be more comfortable. I know guys like in South Texas will, they'll be like 90 foot, you know, or whatever across. Put two thin, it's kind of hard to get a shot sometimes. Or too, too small. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do y'all focus on bedding or food sources when scouting the off season? Uh, KC that wants would, to say that he doesn't scout the <laughs> offseason. That would infer that we scout the offseason. <laughs> no, I, I have spent a lot of time scouting the offseason. I haven't done it much lately, and I'll probably still put in a day or something this year, maybe. Uh, it's usually paired with some camera placement stuff. Uh, but um, mm, depends on the state. Texas, bedding. Um, other places, food sources. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good thought. And I, I also think – you know, we do scout in the off season, but it's all digital pretty much now. And so I think that in that case, we're looking at both. I mean, we pretty much. I, I think I, I think you do too. But I am running with the ag layers on like all the time, pretty much. And so I just have the big three or four on that you run like. I don't have a bunch or no, something. <laughs> yeah. I only got like six on. I think. <laughs> uh, it, you know, but I got like wheat, alfalfa, corn, beans, maybe like one or two more. And mm-hmm. so. Um, I mean, basically, like, finding public, and then uh, I'm always trying to find, like, a food source that they would eat at that time of year that I think I'm going to be there, and then find, like, a place that they would potentially bed that is, you know, a half mile away or so would be ideal, but also that's, like, maybe, you know, three quarters or more from a parking area. That's kind of my idea. Okay. Doesn't always work, though. Can you trust Mexican food north of I-20? You can because I currently reside north of I-20. And I I declare that Emory, Texas has 
some of the best Mexican food per capita of any small town. I would, I would be all on board mm-hmm. with that. Per capita, dude. Especially Tex Mex. Yeah. And um, I've had some pretty good Tex Mex fairly far. And I ain't saying north, north, but I mean like. Yeah. Oklahoma's got some pretty good Tex Mex. But I think, I think if you want to say you can count on it, I mean, I 30 might actually be the line. Yeah. You know, when you get north of I 30, at least in these parts, you're starting to get, you're starting to get maybe where you can't completely trust just walking in a Mexican food place. Charging for think, chips or something weird like yeah, that. Yeah, I know, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just feel like, though, I don't. I can't think of too many places I've been south of 30 that were just not good, you know? They're I mean, around for sure. They are, but, but you yeah. know, I mean, if you want to – I mean, there's places probably – even around I ten, that might be tough to find. Yeah. Hey, Greg and I went in a good place in Waco the other day. Ooh. It was good. I won't. Th- I won't say Waco. the name because they get plenty of business anyway. So yeah, don't want to direct too many folks over there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good. Okay, Tyler. Does a buck scrape always have a licking branch above it? I mean, no, not always. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, not always, but. Uh, I don't know that I'd trust one that didn't have one. I don't know if I'd hunt there. That's a good point. I think that, uh, like, community scrapes usually do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A one-off from a bug that's just raging Mm-mm. just doesn't matter. It's like a rub a mm-hmm. lot of times in a lot of cases where you'll just see some random, you know, rage of rubs that's around or whatever and just buck got mad. You know, they just ran into each other. And one of them just got mad because he knew he knew he couldn't beat the other one, but mm-hmm. he you know he's also real high on testosterone right now. So yeah, I mean, but here's another thing: is I don't I'm not sitting here trying to justify this dude's. Uh, you know, he's walking around saying that's scrape, that's scrape. I mean, I don't, I don't know this guy, but like you get guys like, oh look at that scrape, and it's like oh, actually it's just a bald spot where the leaves got blown away, you know, because mm-hmm. it's clay underneath there or whatever. You know, like there's just random things that are not scrapes, but there are certainly scrapes. You know, you got to just make sure there's like, you know, scrape, actual scrape marks in it, you yeah. know, most of the, the time. The further uh, plainsy you get, the less you'll see the licking branch for sure. But if you see a licking, like a overhanging branch from half a mile away, there's going to be a scrape there yeah. a lot of times too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one you want to trust, man. Those are landmarks. Mm-hmm. Whereas a scrape, a scrape's not a landmark. A licking branch is a landmark. People mm-hmm. or people, deer can see that from a long ways. So if we're thinking about hunting it, uh, it probably needs a licking branch. Do you build a plan around rubs or log it as buck sign in that area? Is it important as scrapes? KC uh, builds a plan around them. <laughs> now, so, we can't remember man, why you do, though. Well, I got to go back and listen to that podcast. <laughs> we talked about this last October, I think, and had some revelatory thoughts on scra- on rubs, and I can't quite remember it. But um, I'll say this. I pay a lot more attention to them now than I did one year ago. Um, and I'm particular about the rub i almost can see a rub and just write it off right away and say eh, whatever but like every once in a while i'll see one i'm like man that one means something yeah yeah a lot of times signpost rubs are on uh perennial trails 
And that's, if you see it from 60 yards, then you need to be like, oh, well, maybe there's a trail there. And you go there and you find a trail and then you figure out where that trail's going to mm-hmm. or coming from. And, and it makes it worth building a plan around. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. Like, you got to see, see certain rubs. It's worth investigating and potentially building a plan around. But most of the time, that plan has already been 80% built because mm-hmm. that's why I'm in the areas. I've already looked at maps and figured out that there's food over here and bedding over here mm-hmm. or whatever. Casey, how would I hunt water if I hunt a state park around a lake? Well, I would say that you're, you have a lot of water to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't uh, make it a big deal. Uh, I probably wouldn't mess with it. I, I would I would focus instead of trying to be like, oh, there's actually an underused water source right here, or you know, like I just, it's gonna be so hard to just be like, oh, you know what, water's the scarce resource right here in this little five acre area. It's further away from the lake, and you know, there's deer gonna find a place to drink. And honestly, unless you're in a fairly arid climate, anyways, it's gonna be pretty tough to to uh, make it a thing, I think. So um, not to burst the bubble here, but just for me, I probably wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about water sources yeah, in I this would, situation. I would find different things to focus on for sure uh, because the water's there. The, the one thing about it is I don't feel like deer drink out of lakes a whole lot, um, probably. So... Um, you're going to, you know, if you know where a, like, stock, old stock tank is in the woods or something like that, and you really want to hunt water because it's hot, dry, or you're there early season or whatever, for whatever reason, then uh, I would just say, well, that one stock tank in the woods could be a good spot mm-hmm. because, you know, here's the thing about lakes, too. Sometimes the vegetation around lakes is really thick, and mm-hmm. deer don't want to just try to bust through that stuff so they can get to the lake, you know, and get some water. And I think there's also this thing in animals that's a little bit instinctual that when they are drinking out of a big water body source, they're a little bit freaked out. I think it's like, you see the African stuff, right? I think it's a little bit of that going on where they just, it's, it's the same thing. Like why is a deer, uh, why does a deer not want to be at a feeder that bad? I mean, that deer may have never actually seen a person or been shot at, and it's still kind of wigged out when mm-hmm. it comes to a feeder. Just something instinctual knows. And I think the same thing happens at big water water body sources where, you know, Lake Placid is on their mind or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, maybe the maybe the thing is if you're, like, you're dead set on hunting water, find a little cove or something, a little inlet yeah, where the deer, creek yeah, like coming a spot in. that they'll hit the edge of that lake more mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, next question is, what are some things to consider packing out a deer instead of dragging? Okay. Um, the, to te- you, if you take the, so some things you would consider, if you take quarters and, pack, and put them in your pack, they're easier to handle with the furry leg on them. But they are also heavier. So if you're not like a big, strong guy and you need to cut weight, or if it's a big old monster deer you need to cut weight, then you can take those off. They're just a little harder to handle, but it's also quicker uh, to get the deer out. So like if it's hot, you may, and you think time is of the essence, you may not take those off the quarters. 
Um, Casey and I typically take a trash bag or two in our packs on pretty much every hunt. Um, what about those trash bags, Tyler? They cannot be smelly scented pack <laughs> bags. Why is it so hard to find trash bags that aren't scented? Because women buy trash bags? I guess. I don't know. But you can buy a set of trash bags that look unscented. I mean, there's no indication, and they still have got some, yeah. some fragrance. Make sure. Smell that box before you buy it, <sighs> and then smell it once you open it up. But, yeah, don't don't get the scented ones because your meat will literally smell like that stuff. Tastes like it, too. And I, I guess mm-hmm. tastes like it. Uh and then, uh, and those are super light to throw in your pack, and they pack down really small. That's worth having if you don't have, like, uh, the game bags or whatever. Um, they're also probably a little bit lighter in game bags, but it ain't much. Um, so we usually take take those in on hunts that, you know, we might need to get the deer out without going out first. And, you know, we do the video thing a lot, so there's a lot of times when if, it, if the weather allows it, we're – going to go back out get some camera stuff some battery extra batteries maybe get a guy another camera guy and just go back in and you know have fun together uh but if we don't it's nice to have something to pack those in um you're gonna want knife uh extra knives too man or extra blades because gutting it is one thing but skinning it and quartering it, you're just going to need more blades or more sharpening stones or whatever so it's good to really it's good to have like two knives anyway for for other reasons but you don't have to sharpen potentially in the middle of you know doing the whole thing if you got two knives you might can work through it um anything else uh hair management oh yeah is a big deal so if you're not used to quartering animals most usually usually you're taking all the skin off you're you're leaving most the hide except for like that shin part tyler's talking about um so don't shred a bunch of that hair like whether you raise or knife and just have a bunch of hair all over everything because that's annoying you have to wash it all off later yeah um and then dirt management same thing get them in that bag as quick as you can uh and then also uh trash bags are usually a little better about keeping blood out of your pack than um mm-hmm. a game bag so if you're concerned about that you think you're gonna use your pack again in the next few days trash bags would be the way to go um, make sure you got a pack that's decent enough to carry some weight. If you're doing deer, you know, it probably hasn't got to be crazy, but like the lightest of elk quarters weighs 80 pounds or whatever. So like, you know, you got to kind of keep that in mind, but you know, most, uh, hunting backpacks can handle a deer quarter just fine. Um, just remember that it takes two quarter or two hind quarters, two shoulders, back straps, uh, tenderloins, anything else you're going to save from inside the deer. And then also usually you're carrying out the skull or a cape and antlers and everything too. So that just keep in mind how much you have to carry. Uh, sounds like you're by yourself. So, um, be prepared to work a little bit, but you know, dragging them is a lot of work too sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it's top secret or not. We'll use those first light packs that were pretty nice for quarters this yeah. year. Yeah. They fit, they fit, they're kind of big, but they end up, they work for a lot of things. I like how they're built like a, like a true bag. Yeah. You know, they're not, they don't have like, a traditional backpack has like this half moon zipper mm-hmm. thing. And those instead have this big opening on the top. Yeah. And it's actually pretty handy. I like it too. Yeah. KC, how often should you get a bow retuned slash restrung? Mm. 
more often than I do for the restrung, for sure. I'm pretty hard on bows. Uh, Tuning-wise, uh, I would say you need to just develop an eye for an out-of-tune bow. Uh, and one of the easy ways to do that is to shoot a big broadhead at a target from time <laughs> to time. Uh, mm-hmm. And it'll tell you how in tune you are um, for the most part. Um, so I would say if you want to just take all the details out of it, make sure your bow's tuned up before deer season. And then maybe like after the rut, go kind of check it out again, potentially. You know, if you're a guy who doesn't know that much about bows, it's always good to find somebody who does. Yeah, I think uh, if there's – if you – we encounter a lot of changing conditions. Uh, we go to start hunting and when it's 90 a lot, and then, you know, we may go somewhere like, you know, we were hunting when it was like – you know, we're, we're hunting in September, and then a couple weeks later we might go up north and it'd be freezing temps nearly, mm, you frost, know. yeah. So um, it's just – yeah, it is like – it's one of those things where I'm – I personally am going to take my bow to the shop and shoot it through paper more often this year during the season, just as a check because I, it it, may, it gave me a gave me a really close call that didn't go my way uh, in Oklahoma this year, mm-hmm. and it frustrated me. And it was a it was a tuning issue, so I'm just going to probably check it pretty often. But I know that you know it's it's a little different for a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of free time to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. and it's. That time is money thing kind of comes back to this stuff too, where it's like if you don't have a lot of time, maybe spend a little bit more on your components to make sure that yeah. it's not stuff that will knock around and stuff. Yeah, good strings know. and whatever else. Yeah. Yep. Okay. KC, mm. is water better to hunt in early season, rut, or late season? Mm, in my opinion, early season. Uh, but I don't have a ton of experience hunting water. I have done it a decent amount. Although, I did kill a deer December 30th on a water pattern, which is wild, but that was in severe drought. Mm-hmm. So, really, the scarcity of water matters more than anything, I think, yeah. uh, in usually early season. I, I will say this. I think people overestimate, and even the best at it, overestimate the effect of temperature on how badly deer need water. I don't think deer need water any more or less that much than on a hot day versus a cold day because they eat a ton of green stuff and they get a lot of water from that, no matter if it's hot or cold or whatever. So I think that when they need water is whenever it's like drought or high exertion, which in comes the rut, right? So that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, there's more green stuff when it's not a drought. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way for me to, if I wanted to watch you shoot that buck over water in December – is there a way for me to do that? You can, actually. You can go to the uh, Element YouTube channel and um, go, I don't remember how, oh, how my you... My phone's dead now, so dead, I can't dead, look it huh? up. Yeah. Uh, I'll, uh, you answer and I'll uh Yeah, I'll so my a... answer to this is also, I feel like, early season as well. Um, I feel like in late season, you've had some snows and some melting and you potentially have more precipitous... Um, landscape and in the early season you're coming out of summer you might have had a drier landscape Um, so that's one thing I feel like uh, the rut is just a don't even to me it doesn't currently make a whole lot of sense to hunt water in the rut because deer just don't even care about themselves if you're hunting bucks at least like they just don't care man they don't eat nothing they don't 
hardly drink nothing. I mean, they got to get a little bit, but it's just they're not even going to spend much time at that stuff. Everything they do is kind of on the way to check does. So, like, you may have a water source that was good in the early season. Well, it may not be worth anything in the rut because it's not on a major trail that goes down a creek system or, you know, goes through thick buck or uh, doe bedding or whatever. And so that deer is not going to find water by going to his favorite secluded little water hole. He's going to find water by crossing, you know, a little draw that's got a little water in the bottom of it um, as he's on his way to a big doe bedding area. So, Dude, you, in, you're right. In the rut, they treat it like marathon runners. Mm-hmm. They just just get a drink as they're going. And same thing with food. It's like they're doing yeah. it on the run. I mean, nameless, one-eyed jack, both eating dead leaves mm-hmm. in November because they're not going to. They're not changing some, their course. Dude, there's plenty of stuff to eat around there. Mm-hmm. And they are not changing their course because they're following does or going looking for does. Mm-hmm. And so they're just eating a, a snack of a Rice crispy, you know, with no sugar <laughs> on it. <laughs> Jaw-dropping footage, Oklahoma public land buck. That's the name. That's the name. That's Go the check title. it out. Tyler and I are sitting behind this big old buck in the dark. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's an awesome video. Um, So, yeah, I'd say preseason. Okay. Tyler? Or early season, not pre. Best time of the day to visit a pond or small creek? Uh, When the deer's there. For what, sure. Is this for scouting purposes, or what? what's that question in relation to? I'm not sure, but I feel like it's this guy's saying, when does a deer show up at, mm. at a water Can you source? answer that? Okay. Uh, I think that a deer shows up potentially at a water source most of the time right after dark. That's what probably yep. would be my would say main, main thought there. Uh, if you're going to say scouting, I would go like – uh, late morning because deer in general are the least active late morning uh, all season long. doesn't yeah. matter what's going on. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're going to say hours like 1030 till noon, that's that's like the time you get your sandwich out. So mm-hmm. it's time to go to the water source and check it out. Yep. Okay, KC, when you're choosing a bow, how important is ATA to you? considering you're shooting out of the saddle? Uh, I don't think about it too much for the saddle stuff. It probably could make a difference if you're shooting like a 36 ATA or something really long. But, I mean, you're going to have to maneuver whether it's a long-limbed bow or a short-limbed bow. Now, where I will say would be difficult is like a, a traditional bow that's really long, right? But... I don't think about it for that question. What I do think about is I actually like a longer ATA bow because I feel like they're more stable in hand, especially at full draw. So if you're hunting out of a semi-stable situation like a saddle, it's good to have some stability in your archery setup. I think about the ATA thing a little more probably when I'm thinking about hunting from the ground. Um, And I don't even know if this is is a, a legitimate worry or not, but... I uh, I turned my SR350 into my turkey bow um, instead of my SS34, which is a 34 ATA, uh, because I just felt like I might be, that bottom cam might be hitting some stuff at the bottom, uh, you know, near the ground brush or little twigs or whatever, or just even the ground if I'm sitting like on my butt shooting. So 
it's not a lot. It's a, uh, it's really like going to be an inch and a half on the bottom side. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not a lot, but potentially something. So I, I'm the same way. Like it really isn't like a huge consideration for me. Um, I think, you know, anywhere between 29 and 34, which is what most bows are like you're, you're talking about just a few inches of difference on one end or the other, you know. Tyler, do you set three or four sticks at once or uh, one at a time? Um, one at a time, like going up and down yes. every time you set a stick? Yeah. I um, When I was self-filming, you can, you can go back and see some of this stuff from like 2019 especially where we would like – we were both self-filming, but we were, you know, split up. Uh, self-filming we'd be on the same trip but we decided hey uh you know we both want to hunt let's uh you know we did some filming together in the first few years and it just you have a lot less deer encounters you know one unit one unit so we decided hey let's split up 2019 you can see where we put a gopro on the ground and kind of show how we're going up i've got some stuff um that i could you know potentially maybe put on Instagram and show that stuff in the next couple of weeks, maybe. But like, basically I take like rubber wire typically now attach it to my saddle. So I've got some rubber wire sticking off my saddle and I will just wrap that around the step of the stick. And I'll try to take, if I was self-filming, I would take, uh, most, if not all of my sticks up in one fell swoop and potentially even my platform and get it all set. If I could do that, I also uh, would take a couple of ropes, um, so paracord, and basically attach those to my saddle and then have, like, my platform down at the bottom of the tree where once I get all my stick set, I can actually just grab that rope, pull my platform up. So there's not so much stuff jangling off my belt, you know. So you just got to kind of, like, figure out how that works for you where you're not you're making the least amount of noise, but you're also not going up and down and sweating like crazy and doing all – you know, making a bunch of noise like a 200-pound squirrel going up a tree, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, but that's that's kind of how I would do it. I don't have to do it that way as much anymore. I'll typically carry one. Or, I'll, I'll set a, a stick, and then I can set my second stick, and then I can, if I want to do it all by myself, I can usually grab a stick and put it on my rubber wire and grab another stick and go up. And then I've got all four of them without have only had to attach one to my belt. So, but... Uh, when you have a cameraman, you can just have them throw you sticks sometimes too, so or hand them up. Yeah. So we're uh, not hanging super high a lot of times either. I mean, I'm not. So you know, it's not like he's chunking this thing 16 foot up in the air to me. It's he's he's handing it to me, handing it to me a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much I'm on par. Same thing. Uh, when we hunted by ourselves, I used to go up and down some, and I hated it because uh, you just get sweaty. I would typically um, the only reason I'd go back down or try to make the only reason I go back down for my bow and or pack. Yeah, and you know, I, when end. I say go back, I used to go back down. It probably was it's hard to remember, but I kind of like learned to process through because we didn't start out like knowing what to do. Yeah, you know, um, but you kind of learn the process of what you can do and, and you know how much you can carry up the tree and stuff. Mm-hmm. I will say uh, just so people know that rubber wire stuff works really good on those cruiser saddles because they have these little extra loops on them and stuff. But um, it's the brand that I that we use is called Night Eyes, I think, and you find it at Lowe's or Home Depot, kind of near the carabiners and stuff. Uh, in case you're kind of wanting something like that, and that mm-hmm. stuff's real quiet, real durable. Uh, it also doubles as a bow hanger, 
mm-hmm. uh, pretty often for me, and that's actually why I don't have any left because I tend to leave my bow hangers in the trees. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, hunting public land, you're not screwing them in. You know, you got to find some way to do something. So, yeah, works out all right. KC, how do you hold your climbing sticks walking in? Um, I let me think about this. This year, I I did two things. Um, I nested them together and carried them as like a one group of four or three. I think I, I hunted with just three sticks all year long. Um, but I think m- most of the time, if it was a decent walk, I would put two sticks on one side of my pack and two sticks on the other side of the pack. That first light pack had like tension buckles on each side that you could put the sticks in. And that's how I distributed it, you know, um, one on or one on one side, two on the other. Yeah, I pretty much had four sticks the whole year and did two on each side with that first light pack. And tension straps were really nice. And I mean, it works. It works really well. Mm-hmm. So I had some light, really lightweight sticks I used most of the season, but I did uh, try to use several different types of sticks just so I had you know I could compare and kind of talk about what I like and those kind of things. I use muddy pros a lot too, um, which are not super light, but they are super functional. And I can get up a tree really quick and get out after, you know, dark really quickly with those Mighty Pros. Do you always look for a setup with multiple trees to hang your bows and bags, Tyler? No. I always look for the tree that I can kill a deer out of, plain and simple. Like, I will I will find a way to get into the tree if that's – and if I, if I can't, if I absolutely can't get into that tree, I'm probably either finding a different spot or hunting on the ground. But like the tree to kill the the tree that I think that's the tree I have to get in to kill a deer out of. I'm trying to get into it and get you know maybe behind it or whatever. And sometimes like in Arkansas or something, especially like you get a lot of straight trees with no branches for a long ways up, tall you know high canopy, and you just it's my least favorite type of tree to hunt out of to climb because there's nothing to hang on to. But, it's like um, the one time that a climbing stand yeah. is better. Yeah, you know, and I, normally that isn't the case around yeah. in most stuff I hunt. But yeah. it's when, just a weird. It's not a fun tree to get into. But if that's the tree because it's twenty yards from wherever, then that's what that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you got multiple choices, then for sure looking at trees that have branches that you can hang stuff off or hide behind. I mean, big a lot of times those trees that you know. 8, 10, 12 foot up will we'll branch out into a double trunk or whatever or even lower, and you can kind of get in the crotch of those things and and really hide well. Really hidden. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like. But, um, no, it's, it's literally pretty much every time I go in, when I decide where to go and what tree to sit in, it is a matter of can I get a shot to where I think that buck is going to be standing tonight or whatever. So Nothing to add to or take away from there. All right. That's what if you were to shoot long range with the meat eater crew, who would be your instructor? Tyler Jones. No. Dang. <laughs> uh, oh. So, um, you know, as far as proficiency, Tyler Jones is it. But he, he doesn't have a lot of experience with the instructing, right? However, he's about to long range or fly right now. A double whammy, dude. Oh, they are piggybacking. Higher, higher. Oh, oh in my size. eyes. Did it really? Yes. <laughs> Did I get him? No. I think you aim a little low every time. Okay. This thing's kind of high. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. high. Um, 
Yeah, I for sure have salt in my eyeball. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, <dude. laughs> it's all right, man. It's just my shooting eye. Um, <laughs> so, long, long range shooting. Uh, Garrett Long, who isn't on the camera much, uh, but did come hunt with us some. Uh, he's he's proficient in instruction as well as uh, shooting long range, so he'd be the guy. Me too. All right, we're on our last two questions. Fine, Good. I got to go to the bathroom bad. Would love to hear the stories on y'all deciding to follow Christ. <laughs> what? Uh, I had to answer first on the last one. Yeah, go. Okay. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. You want me to answer first? Yeah. Um, uh, I, was, I was raised up, uh, I guess you could say, I was raised in the church. And so... Um, there wasn't really like I don't I don't really remember like just a, a straight up just either breakdown or epitome moment kind of thing. Um, so I mean I don't really have like there wasn't like a just decision to, and I also was uh, I always was just to be honest a kid that like just wanted to do what was right uh, or at least not get in trouble. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I didn't. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be in trouble bad enough that I didn't do. I tried to do things that I thought adults would be okay with me doing, right? Mm-hmm. And so do what they they thought was I should be doing. So uh, my story is just way different. So where where I think um, I'm going to maybe differ from a lot of people is like having being being able to do kind of have discipline enough to do the things that I'm supposed to do. Uh, also have made like a hard thing for me where like, um, you know, you want to, you want to think that you could earn your salvation, you know, and you want to think that like, that's, and so just, that's always been my main struggle. My main struggle has not been, well, I, you know, I used to run around and, you know, be an outlaw and now I finally have, you know, decided to give my life to the Lord or whatever. It's more of a, you know, kind of always tried to do what was right. And uh, as they say, been sanctified through the years to understand that like what I am doing is not earning my salvation, but rather that, uh, you know, my love for what Christ has done for me has been my inspiration to do what is right instead. Hopefully that makes sense. Tell you what is hard to make sense of is... um explaining to a youth group the difference in salvation and sanctification. They have a real <laughs> difficult time with that. We talked about that on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, for me, I uh, have a pretty similar story to Tyler. I, I grew up a Christian pretty much, you know, like uh, my family went to church. And so um, with your sanctification comes like new levels. Uh, you know, enlightenment is hard to say because that gets borrowed from other religions as well, but, um, like just a deeper understanding of God's love for us. Now I'll, you know, to give it a basis, uh, I was seven when I decided I was a Christian and I wanted to be baptized. So, um, for me, knowing that Jesus was the son of God and we had to have him for salvation, had to have his death, burial and resurrection. Those are the things that made me know I was a Christian and I was prepared to do that at a young age. You know, I think, we actually talked about this in extent on Sunday, how people think that you need to be an adult to become a Christian, and that's not really the case at all. Now, however, 
um, it would seem that people who are, uh, well, how can I say that right? Oftentimes, when people become adults of a Christ, as a Christian, uh, become Christians as an adult, they seem to have a greater vigor and are more on fire. Uh, it probably has something to do with that prefrontal cortex thing that people talk about, but at the same time, uh, God's will is God's will. And, you know, like, if you're meant to uh, be a Christian your whole life or know that you're saved your whole life, then, like, that's that's the way it is. Um, so I don't, don't want to dive too far into that because I know we're, like, super long into this. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, um, yeah, that's when I was like seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it didn't take, it didn't take a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that, too, um, there's this whole sentiment of this. I'm going to get into some marriage advice here where this gets kind of weird. But I've been thinking about this a lot. People think that, like, um, you don't know who you are until you're in your mid-20s because your brain isn't fully developed and this and that and the other. And whether it's marriage or Christianity, and for me, those things are very intertwined. Um, What a better way to, like, develop who you are than to make it with your Savior? Or if you're talking about just a marriage situation, with your partner, you know? Like, yeah, I was an idiot when I was 18, but I'll tell you what, like, man, if I had, you know, a wife to grow with as opposed to go through a bunch of growing pains, it would be, <laughs> would have been way better for me. You know, I'm not saying that's that way for everybody, but well, it is that way for everybody. I had a wife to, to <laughs> yeah. go through it with and, mm-hmm. uh, they're still growing pains. Oh, for sure. There's I understand some, what you're I, saying. I, the, some of the most regretful things in my life have happened with my wife. Maybe the most regretful things, you know? Yeah. So it's just, you know, whereas like the shame that you have sometimes, in that age of your life is more just like involved with you or, you know, maybe your friends or whatever at the time. But like, yeah, it's definitely convicting. Yeah. I would say the, the greater thought there is, um, um, there's no age restriction on a lot of that stuff. Mm. Don't get married when you're 12. Right. But you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> when you know, you know. Brings us to the last question. Yes, Michael has to wait a few years. Yeah, sorry, Mike. <laughs> Inside joke, Tyler. No, everybody knows he's not twelve. Uh, do they? Right. I don't know. The last question is: share a Bible verse that's personal to you. Um, oh, these are so hard for me. I don't. Man. I mean, to me, like uh, the Bible is not about me. So uh, I don't know if I don't know how like what the question exactly means, but I do know that like I try not to. I try not to take Bible verses and make them about me. Uh, I, you definitely, you know, want to apply them to your life a lot of times, right? There's a, there's an application, but uh, the Bible, let's not be confused. It's about Jesus Christ from start to finish, Old Testament, New Testament. So, you know, I think that um, with that in mind, um, I would say there's a few that we've been learning I learned with my kids a new Bible verse about every 10 days or so. On the way to school, we work on it for 10 days or so, and then they usually get it down, and we go on to the next one. Um, but I love the book of John, and I like uh, the first five verses a lot, which are, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Um, in Him was was light, and that light was light, or that life, and the life was the light, and the light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness hasn't overcome it. So, um, the light of men that is. So, with that, I like the a couple of things about this. First, the word is a capitalized W, and the word is known to be Jesus in the beginning with God, um, which I love this this kind of thing that happens in the Bible a lot. And then another thing I like is this. Uh, I guess you could call it juxtaposition of light and darkness that you see in the beginning of John, which you also see in the beginning of Genesis, which is the beginning of, you know, the earth's foundation. And, um, and we just know that like, if you add light to dark, it overcomes it and it is a light space. But if you add darkness to light, uh, the darkness can't overcome that light, right? You can't add darkness to light, but you can add light to darkness. And, um, and so we know these things like to be truths, right? Which are, there's other things that I won't get into politically right now that we know to be truths that people are trying to distort. And uh, it doesn't make sense to most people. And you can see that in th- some of the things that have happened recently that most people aren't out there just causing a big scene and trying to disrupt like basic human humanity truths or whatever. So I like John a lot, but I really like those first few verses, which are, very inspirational to me because it just is, like I said, the the book of the Bible or the Bible is about Jesus and Jesus is mentioned as being there in the beginning of, uh, in the beginning with God and also the being the light or the life of men and the light overcoming darkness. I just love all that together. It's just poetic, man. So those are all, it's great stuff there, man. And I think that one of the modern, mistakes of the church is making the Bible about ourselves. Um, and we're all, well, I try not to speak in absolutes. A lot of us, especially me, are guilty of that from time to time. Uh, but it's hard to not put yourself in situations that are in the Bible because it is written for us to read as a testament to Christ, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it, it, there's some level of self-reflection in there. And there's instructions for us in there as well. Recently, one of the ones that's really popped out to me because of a lot of different things, right? But it, um, whether that's like the political nature of of the culture we live in, my personal experiences with being a teacher, um, like all this stuff kind of comes into play. Uh, with Matthew 18, the first part of it is, um, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him among them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, to sin, who believe in me, to sin, it is better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Pretty uh, difficult last verse there, um, but it, you know a lot of things here uh, come up where um, we were just talking about well ago how like it doesn't take much to be a believer. Jesus says right here even that you know children can be believers, um, and so like there's this level of adulthood that we're all striving for and like maturity and prowess and all that, and then just like the Bible, the word always does, it flips that up on its head and says, actually, you need to become childlike, right? You have to have this uh, certain nature 
about you that's not highly valued in our society, right? Like uh, people of value in society and culture now are people with experience, people who are knowledgeable, people who have been there, done that, this, that, and the other. And you can, you know, go on and on about the the different qualities of a child, and it's kind of almost assumptive as to what Jesus is talking about here. But in general, what we're saying is that, like, man, you need to be lowly and realize that you are lowly. There's no child out there that's trying to pick a fight with a grown man because they know they can't win, right? And Jesus is saying... Except for Journey. Always <laughs> well, oh, trying to pick her. a fight with me. <laughs> um, you know, but like... No, there, I know what you're saying. Yeah, though. there's there's a, a level here of understanding because that's what the disciples are doing or the apostles here. They're like, hey, uh, who's going to be the top dog up there? You know, mm-hmm. like we all walk around with you every day. Who's going to be the one that gets... You know, this is kind of a, a reoccurring theme here or whatever. But then the latter part of that really speaks to me of like the millstone thing and it's such a dangerous thing. Um, as a teacher, or maybe dangerous isn't the right thing. It's a it's such a, a interesting thing to think of how much of a responsibility you have to to lead, and then still like with our culture today, some of the things that are being said and done to and children that are manipulated by is just pretty terrible. Um, so, mm. um, anyways, um, that's that's one that I've been real interested in lately and thinking a lot about yeah can i just also kind of say that um the uh, the question is a great question i appreciate it being asked and i didn't mean to come off as like uh it shouldn't have been asked that way i was more making a point for anybody who might be listening that because i i understand what he's saying with the personal thing it's not i was more making a point for other people so i really appreciate that question it's a really great question man appreciate y'all asking faith-based questions too it's i mean I'm really interested in deer hunting. I'm even more interested in our eternity, man. So uh, let's keep it up. Me too. That's all of them. Oh, all right. Remember to open your Bible and remember this is your element. Live in it. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.